and gentlemen, on behalf of Jim Crockett Promotions, welcome to the premier wrestling event of 1986, Starcade 86, the night of the Skywalker. Gotta make it, gotta make it, gotta make it through this. Come on, come on, come on. Fuck <laughs> off, come on. <laughs> Fucking come on. Daniel Bedingfield, fuck off. <laughs> what what became of him? I reckon he writes songs for people who don't quite make it as pop stars. Uh, that's interesting. I reckon he's one of these lads who maybe, you know, too much too young, spunked all his money, had, had an awful time of it, and is thankfully still with us. Oh, hopefully. Thank God for that. I, d- well, I don't know. That's just a guess. Right, let's have a look. Gonna have to find out now. Uh, he was a judge on the X Factor New Zealand in 2013. Cause he's of New Zealand origin, and uh, he does songwriting. Uh, he, he co-wrote "I Wanna Feel" by Second City, which debuted number one on the UK singles chart. I have, I have no idea what that song is. No. Do... Spent time working in this studio with K-pop group Spicker. I'll be honest, <laughs> I fucking nailed it. You did. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> You can catch me on a lot of things, but Daniel Bedingfield. And is that your Byron Faxon of the week? No, oh, bollocks, I haven't got one. Shit. Oh, well, there you go. Just <laughs> chuck that one in there. Welcome once more to the Random Wrestling Review on a day when we go back about 35 years to Starcade 1986 and a world where the Cold War was not yet over and Jimmy Savile was still just an eccentric old gentleman. Speaking of eccentric older gentlemen, we have old man Sam Kerry on the show this week who has for the past seven days been stewing on Tom's comments from last week slating potential Mount Rushmore candidate Adam Bomb. Old man, have you managed to get over that yet? No, <laughs> and I won't because not only is he potential material, He's doing the carving. Carving? Do you carve? Yeah, you do carve things out of stone, don't you? Yes. Go on, Adam Bomb. He's the artist, not the person on the art. No, he's both. He's doing his own face. He's that good. <laughs> A self-portraited Mount Rushmore of yeah. Adam Bomb. Yeah. What's not to like? I don't know. Maybe maybe we can ask our other host, because we also have Tom Smith, who was particularly concerned on finding out that this edition of Starcade is the longest in the event's history, clocking in at just under four hours. So the big question on everybody's lips is, did it affect his enjoyment of the show? I guess we're about to find out. Tom, how are you? Uh, I'm very well. I'm surprised that old man's more offended by the fact that I, you know, slated Adam Bomb last week, whereas you've just compared him to Jimmy Savile. <laughs> Not a peep out of him for that. <laughs> No, uh, you know what? You know what? Right? I think everybody misjudged Savile. That's a mistake that we all pay for every day. But to criticise Adam Bomb, <laughs> that is a new level of low. Even for you. Yeah, it's, it's fair, Tom. I mean, we knew, we didn't know everything about Jimmy Savile back in the mid 80s, but we do know everything there is to know about Adam Bomb at this point. So we shouldn't be able to, uh, we should be able to judge him fairly. Well, so we're not allowed to criticise anyone. That's the problem with people these days. That's the, that's the problem, is it? You can't say anything, can't criticise anyone without being called a snowflake or being cancelled. Now, before we get into the guts of Starcade 1986, just a quick pointer in the direction of our social media channels. RWR Pod UK is where we can be found on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And while you're here, why not subscribe, review and rate the podcast wherever it is that you are listening. Starcade 1986. 
It's a monster. It's an epic. It's a WrestleMania mm. scale show um, in, in many different ways, I guess you could argue. And what were our expectations going in? We're going to try and we discussed this before the show. We're going to try and fly through this episode a little bit because there are 12 matches on this one as a consequence of it being so long. And there are some bits and pieces in between the various matches, including some uh, flashbacks to previous shows as well. So, um, yeah, we're, we're going to have to go through pretty quickly. But but before we get there, let's uh, talk about our expectations. Starting with you, old man. I was expecting something very traditional in production, something very straight-laced. I wasn't anticipating almost four hours, I must say. But I was quite looking forward to this. I will be honest. I, I was hoping there'd be some commentary because obviously we did, uh, when Tom was on paternity leave, we did uh, Great American Bash 84, I think. 88. 88, sorry, yeah. And uh, that's what I said. <laughs> and there was no commentary. It was it was tough. And when I saw this was just shy of four hours on the network, I thought, oh, if there's no commentary, this is going to be tough old going. But overall, I was up for this. I was bang up for it. Come on, Starcade. Tom. Um, so my thoughts on this are actually written them down as well before that. Um, so this is this is this, you know fresh off the no, it's not actually it's about four days old. Um, <laughs> so my expectations that there are probably going to be some good matches and some absolute rot on this. Um, matches that finishes with moves that don't look very impactful. So I reckon we're going to get a couple of cross bodies, an elbow drop, maybe a body slam, and that'll be enough to win the match. That happens on these kind of cards, and plenty of wrestlers that look like someone's dad. Um, that was kind of what happens when you watch these so I was actually quite looking forward to it that being said when I saw the runtime and I thought it was four hours the bollocks went back up inside me a little bit Um, and I did think to myself how on earth am I going to find the time to watch this bollock breaking which I believe is a phrase you described Tinkies to describe a Triple H match that went particularly long once uh, pay-per-view but overall they were I was looking forward to it more than I wasn't I uh, used that term to describe Bret Hart versus Bob Backlund, I believe. So, as well. Yeah, I used well. it before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I did, yeah. So my expectations were that we would get a relatively low level of production, um, much like you you said, old man. This is, does When you first see this, it looks quite similar, I would say, first of all, to the Great American Bash that you mentioned that we saw, but also it looks quite similar to WrestleMania 1 and you know, kind of got that same dark arena feel, kind of looks relatively grainy as it would do in terms of you know picture quality not not so that you can't you know you can't watch it it's not watchable but just you know just generally has the look of something that was made 35 years ago which to be honest is quite a long time ago now when you consider the advances in technology and the production value of television shows and whatnot there's there's an interesting thing about kind of how your television looks so i um I, I find stuff like this much easier to watch than stuff that was made in like 2010 mm. or 2006. So there's like, I was, I watched like um, quite a lot of basketball and on the uh, NBA um, kind of league pass thing, um, you can watch like old games. And if you watch like games from like the 60s, 70s, 80s, or even 90s, it's much more watchable than watching something from like 2005 to 2010 mm. or something like that, because the, it just looks horrible like pre like hd cameras and stuff like that i don't know why it just it looks unwatchable so it's got that kind of like nice retro-y kind of old feel to it that i always quite enjoy from watching a lot of this older wrestling certainly has it do you think it's partially because the new televisions have been made specifically to watch new footage but also have been maybe made to try and almost accommodate slightly older stuff but haven't been made to accommodate things that are 10 years old or 
you know, about 15 years old, whereas they've been made to accommodate things that are older than that because there's a lot more than that of that stuff. Mm. I, I also wonder if there is a difference between things that are filmed like digitally and things that are filmed on film as mm. well. Um, I wonder if that has got something to do with it as well. Fascinating stuff. We have uh, covered te- te- <laughs> technology in terms of uh, filming. Let's get into the wrestling, shall we? Hey, I know. I'll be honest, mate. So I've worth carrying on now because I think everyone's switched off. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're probably right. But we'll, we'll soldier on anyway, just for the yeah. hope that the one or two people have stuck with us. <laughs> now we start with the, some music, some nice music and a few arena shots to get us started. Then there's a lovely neon light show. And Aww. this neon light show, strangely, there's a in 2000, I think it was 2000 or maybe 99. There was a British wrestling promotion who briefly got onto British television on live TV. If you ever remember oh, this. Oh, yeah, I do. That's famous for the old topless dance, wasn't it? It was indeed, yeah. On live TV? I thought you meant <laughs> yeah. live. Actually, it was on live. No, live TV. No, no, lovely live stuff. TV. Yeah, the, t- yeah, the channel, stuff. live TV. And um, it was called UWA, I think. And the first thing they had as part of, or one of the things they had as part of their, instead of Titantrons, because obviously this is a very low uh, budget promotion still titantrons they had laser shows just like this was at the beginning of this uh, starcade show only that would have been like mid to late 90s and this is 1980 yeah. 15 years after, 15 years yeah. before this uh, sorry 15 <laughs> years after this is what where that was so um Talk, talking about the dark arena it is so dark and and looking at especially this this is in two arenas isn't it two venues and yeah. um, there's the Omni in Atlanta and the Greensboro Coliseum is that what it's called or what and I think it's in the I think it's in the Greensboro where it's so dark around the outside and it's the first one you it's the first one you go to isn't it and you're in, in, welcomed by a bloke also with a terrible comb over and it's so dark and I was watching it thinking this is what like six months five months removed from WrestleMania three like the yeah. difference is is unbelievable mm. between the production value between the two companies is as unbelievable and like watching it with that in the back of my mind i was like fucking hell this is these are these are two completely different things i don't think it's particularly fair to compare them because look at wrestlemania 2 in comparison mm. to this which was the same mm. year let's be honest and it isn't that much different so i'm not sure it's a particularly fair comparison i mean yes wrestlemania 3 looks completely different but I did, yeah, I'm not sure that comparing the two companies, I think comparing the shows is fair, but I well, think comparing the companies is a problem for me. That's an aesthetic choice as well, isn't it, that they've made? I'm not, I'm not necessarily criticising it. I'm not it's sure it's the... a choice. I think it's just what had the, the limit of what, you know, if you think about lighting, it wasn't as advanced. They didn't know as much in terms of how to do it, how to shoot it. And also probably it costs more money. The more lights you've got, I'm, I'm mm. presuming that costs an awful lot more money. So it's... Maybe it's a choice, but it's also an economic reality, I would imagine, of this show. I do think they could have probably done more than got three lamps from Ikea to light <laughs> the whole arena. <laughs> they stole the three lamps from the bottom of the Wells Road and put them... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love the shout-out for the three lamps. It's an incredibly niche reference, that is, for the <laughs> listeners. And about one or two people will get it. Love it. So, yeah, the ring announcer welcomes us to the show. The Night of the Skywalkers. This particular Mm. event is subtitled. And that becomes clear when we see that there is a scaffold over one of the rings. Old man's had some had some uh, personal experience with this since our uh, Great American Bash 88 show. I'll be honest, mate. I wasn't I wasn't excited to see it. Um, But also, I didn't um, I don't know whether I just wasn't paying attention at the start. I didn't have a clue what match it was going to be. Mm. so there was a little bit of a little bit of saucy intrigue as well but yeah it was 
absolute trash the one that we watched so i wasn't overly excited and it was very high as well this was. seemed this seemed much much higher oh, than okay. the one at great american bash and i thought yeah. someone's someone's gonna get hurt but so, depending on who it is i might not mind i i knew was, who was gonna get hurt and i thought i'm looking forward to seeing this <laughs> <laughs> so next up we had the national anthem being played and then we are introduced to the two different commentary teams. So we have got in in the Greensboro Coliseum, we've got Tony Schiavone and Rick Stewart. Um, and they are, as I said, they're in the, oh, hang on. They might be in the Omni. I'm no, not sure. No, it's the other way around. It's the other way around. Yeah. So in the Omni is Tony Schiavone and Rick Stewart. I've never heard of Rick Stewart by, before, by the way. Well, no idea who he is. So it's Tony the Tash Schiavone and Rick the Mullet Stewart. Yeah, is how I got them down. Because I'll be honest, mate. I just noticed as well when I was saying it out loud, Tony Schiavone rhymes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, never noticed that before. We are 46 episodes into this podcast. <laughs> We've seen Tony Schiavone at least 10 times. Uh, next, <laughs> next, next week, our man's going to be like, I just realised that Mean Gene rhymes as well. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, Jesus. And we also have Bob Caldor and Johnny Weaver on the other comes in uh, Greensboro. I don't know who Johnny Weaver is, and I'm I'm hoping that he is an ex wrestler because his forehead looks like rashes of streaky bacon. <laughs> He's obviously I... bladed so much. No, no, his forehead is made of rashes of streaky bacon. <laughs> forehead replacement. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's because uh, Bob Cordell just loves raw bacon. <laughs> But he's not allowed to store it on the desk that they've got. So he just peels a layer off his head and bam. no, no, no. Oh, Johnny, it tastes so good. No, no, no. Oh, God. It turns out it isn't actually streaky bacon. It's just his skin. And he's just eating his massive flecks of dandruff. <laughs> Lovely. So Bob Caudle was the traditional announcer for Jim Crockett Promotions, which is obviously the promotion behind this particular show. Um, Johnny Weaver, I think, was indeed a, a former wrestler not seen him in any matches but i have seen him i think managing previously in like shows even before this um but yeah don't know an awful lot about him either and then we get our first match of the night seven and a half minutes along tim horner and nelson royal against the canodal brothers don and rocky uh the match goes as i said for seven and a half minutes and horner counters a rocky roll-up with one of his own for the pin to end the match so tom can, can we call that our first underwhelming finish of the night with a little roll up i don't know i'm happy to take i'm happy for you guys to to take a vote on this i think that's i don't think it is quite but it's it's right on the verge of being an underwhelming finish i think it's okay purely because it's an opener i think they can get away with it and also you've pronounced the uh tinky pronounced the surnames of the brothers wrong it's the cornhole brothers So I, I I heard it as the Granola Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, hello, I can't fancy a bit of granola after this. And the other referees were in flares, which is lovely. Yes. Oh. Is this is this Skippy? The referee? No. No, 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 not yet. Oh, oh not Skippy. No. <laughs> He's not here yet. We all Come jumped on. on we all we all jumped on Skippy, didn't we? <laughs> it's amazing. Can't wait. The Scrappy. It's Scrappy. Not oh Skippy. yeah. I'm just playing along. I was just um, playing along. Um, the, 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 I'll be honest, so we're going to whiz these for opening matches. I haven't got many notes about that because, one, I didn't know who was who. I didn't know what was going on. And it wasn't helped by the fact that one of the teams is on all blue and the other team's got someone in blue. <laughs> so, so I kept forgetting yeah. who was who. And it's it's a bit of a, to be honest, it's a bit of a nothing match. I don't really know why it's on it. You know what? I thought this was all right. There's a decent little flow to the match. 
I do agree with Tommy. It took me a while to figure out, and then I realised that the guy in red pants was Hunter, and Horner. then or or Weaver or something. That's right. I Horner. I wrote down three different names in the name because I can't remember his name. <laughs> yeah. Poor old Tim and uh, old Nelson Royal. Yeah, I I thought this was alright. There's a lovely little roll through from a sleeper into a pin attempt. I wrote down some other notes that I can't really make sense of now, to be honest. But needless to say, it was great. I quite like this. The one thing as well is uh, the crowd are fucking gagging for this in a way that we've not heard a crowd gag for a match. Probably since our our Survivor Series 94 show, I think. like They're really up for this, and I've very much enjoyed it. Um, I we've seen Tim Horner before, old man. Tom may not remember, which was the Great American Bash '88 again. Tim Horner was involved oh, yeah. in. He was involved in a tag team opener then as well, alongside Bug, alongside Bugsy McGraw against Larry Zabisco and Rip Morgan, just for uh, records mm-hmm. purposes. I have also seen quite a bit of um, Don Canodal. Um in the I think 1982. He was a tag team partner of Sergeant Slaughter. And they were, uh, at the time, I think the Mid-Atlantic Tag Team Champions. But I don't know much. I've never seen Rocky Canoda before. Tim Horner and and Don Canoda were, were largely um, jobbers, actually, on the on the Mid-Atlantic show, certainly in the early 80s. And this isn't that far after this. So it wouldn't surprise me if this was really just a little bit of a jobber match to, to get things kicked off. But having said that, I thought this was pretty darn good too. I quite enjoyed this. I thought it was a really decent little tag team opener, really quite nice, fast paced, strange little mid air, mid ring head collision between two of them at one point, which was, I, it, it kind of, they rather than kind of do the usual thing where they both go for a clothesline or something, mm. they just pretty much just jumped up in the air and hit heads. <laughs> yeah. It was really weird. Um, but yeah, uh, generally, decent start i thought and as you said oh man crowd are right into it mm. the thing the thing i can't really remember too much about this is that it feels like it was about six months ago that i started watching it <laughs> <laughs> well i'll be honest on that point is that even i didn't watch this in one chunk and i've watched every wow. single show in one chunk so far pathetic i hate to give a spoiler um, away but if you if you had um if you had watched it in all of one go i'd already decided that that would have made you my mvp so you missed out <laughs> on that ticket damn it uh, so i watched the first four matches and then stopped and then watched the rest another day tinky ever the professional teed me up lovely for this week's tyron faxton of the week which is a double header Oof. so fucking they'll already be gaffer taped to the table but get a mallet ready for the bollocks Oof. so don cornhole appeared in the 1978 Sylvester Stallone movie, Paradise Alley. Wow. And and this is where he's such a pro. So we're going back again. We're calling on the same thing last week. The 2003 PWI, PWI years, they ranked their top 100 best tag teams. Mm. And who came in at number 29? Don Cornhole and Sergeant Stalter. Tyron Faxton of the week. Uh, I completely forgot about that this week, so I just went on Wikipedia. So before you fucking come in my inbox, even though I haven't got one, whinging at me, listeners, I know my failings. I own them. They were 20, did you say 29th? Yeah, yeah. 
they weren't even hmm. a tag team for that long and it was in a, a what was at the time a regional promotion in in mid-atlantic like their, t- their titles weren't even the world titles they were just mid-atlantic titles so i'm 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 no no idea they came to that conclusion I, frankly. I'm, I'm gonna put it out there one of them was just a massive stand for them <gasps> oh my god lads i just had a look at this list right and i'm just like oh i wonder who um who's beneath them the rockers oh, a couple yeah. of places they're above the Midnight Express. Oh, hang on. Mm. They're above Shusun Liger and Al Samai, whoever those guns are. Well, that's, that's not something to point out, mate. <clears throat> no. That's not going to impress us. They're above the Nasty Boys, which, oh. regardless of the way, they're above the Briscoe Brothers. They're ab- above Ivan and Nikita Kolov. They're above Ken Patera and Crusher Blackwell. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> those fucking titans. Can I just ask oh, you one they're... question, old man? Yeah. Are they above, or are the powers of pain even in the 100? Who were the powers of pain again? <laughs> Fuck off, old man. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Move on. We're trying to rattle through this. We've been talking about this for fucking ages now. <laughs> uh, just, just let you know, they were 97th. They made the list. They made the list, Tom. You got to accept yeah. that. Yeah. Ju- um, just below Nikolai Volkov and Iron Sheik. It's a bullshit list. I'm not interested in that. So, second match is Brad Armstrong against Jimmy Garvin. It is a 15-minute draw, time limit draw. Uh, so, I won't. that's how it ended. So, that was a relatively quick uh, summary of that match. Old man. I enjoyed this. There is fantastic heat on Garvin. My word. I mean, this is like, I think, pre-thing for everyone. I had a lovely time, which is purely because of the crowd reactions. Because there are, even though... I didn't have a fucking go. I knew older BA was going to be the face because he's a handsome devil and Garvin was going to be the heel. But my God, did the crowd let me know. And then you get Strappy McGowan, which, I mean, fuck off. Fucking hell, what a man. But they, um, that's it. <laughs> I can't such hang a man. on it. Such a man. You've I can't call him Skippy and Strappy. But... <laughs> What's his actual name? Scrappy. Scrappy. Like Scrappy Do. All right. So it's strap on McGowan. (laughs) (laughs) So we start off well in this match. The lockups are fan-fucking-tastic. They lock up for what feels like about three minutes, and none of them are fucking giving up. And then it does slow down quite a lot. There's a lot of let-down stuff with um, old uh, Ronnie Garvin just kind of with a head scissors on Brad Armstrong. But it then livens right up for the last five minutes, they're beating the tar into each other after the time limit's over. I just thought it was great stuff. It was really, really good. Really enjoyed this. So good that he got the referee's name wrong and then Jimmy Garvin's name wrong as well because he called him Ronnie Garvin in the midst of that. Uh, uh, you know what? You know what? If I can't get Chris Garvin's name right, then what kind of man am I? <laughs> That's right, and and it's not scra- it's, and it's not uh, Strappy McGowan. It's it's Hulk Hogan Jr. Come on. Yeah, I mean his hair. So this is the most. This I, I'm surprised you didn't talk about this old man. Um, but I'm glad that I get to get the chance to. His hair. His hair looks so. The best way I can describe is his hair looks like a blonde version of Uma Thurman's hair in Pulp Fiction and balding. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing That's what a guy scrappy mcgowan is my fucking hero i mean mvp of the night sorry i'm doing it i'm calling it right now i love scrappy mcgowan he's in about four or five matches and he's wonderful in every single one of them and his hair is just it's, wonderful it's, it's he-man hair is it? it's beautiful yes. but it's thinning it's thinning yeah, it's it's on top. 
Yeah. It's amazing. And he's got flares on as well. He's having a lovely time. It's amazing. Um, I really like this match as well, actually. It, I've written down in, in my notes. It's it's like a real, it's a proper like wrestling, wrestling match. Like old man said, this old um, uh, Brad Armstrong loves a headlock. Um, you're right, old man, about the head scissors. Old um, Jimmy uh, Jimmy Grimes is a proper shit, isn't he, in this match? Yeah. Uh, he's prob- And you can see his dick. He's wearing very tight white pants, as you'd expect, which is what you all want. And he's a proper, he's a proper shit. And there aren't any impact moves or punches really until the last two minutes. But when those moves come in, so it's not really like a slam or a suplex or anything like that until the last two minutes. And when they do, the intensity kind of really kind of ramps up. And as you said, Tink, it ends in a draw. But I love the fact that they both want to continue and as does Jimmy Giggs. So he's wanting to just get in there and carry on he wants to carry on the fight and he's insistent that he can beat him which is great because it kind of gives you a reason to think but the heel backs himself rather than just being an outward out out, out and out coward really enjoyed this a lot more than i was expecting to and it also made me think so brad armstrong from what i've seen of him quite like uh obviously road dog has got his flaws but you know he's got he's got his place where did it all go wrong with scott <laughs> where did it all go wrong with him i don't know about i don't know about that but um i did think I did like this match also. My one criticism is, and this is very part of the course for this time in history, you can you can call a time limit draw from about seven or eight minutes in. You can tell that's what they're going for. And so it was, even though I thought they did a really good job of ramping things up in the last three, four minutes, the commentators even stressing that that's what they were trying to do, knowing that the time limit was nearing. So it did still give it a little bit of drama, but it just was so obvious that they were going to the time limit that it meant that you didn't really get any of that drama saying that it was a very decent little match and as you say it kind of felt like they were just it's almost like they were being conservative defensive in terms of their the way they were wrestling it and then as it got closer to the time limit they realized they couldn't mess around anymore so needed to try and win and then they just ran out of time so then match number three is Baron Von Raschke and Hector Guerrero against the Barbarian and Shaska Watley, uh, otherwise known as Pez Watley in various uh, other periods of his career. It's not my favourite version of the Barbarian, <laughs> if I'm being honest. I preferred him in the, uh, in the aforementioned Powers of Pain, but we've discussed this already. I don't know if we have. I'm not sure we have. Um, the, this, But this is the Barbarian almost in the Powers of Pain. Like He's very, very close to being the Barbarian mm. from the Powers of Pain. Yes, but there's no Warlord or Mr. Fuji at that point, so not quite That's, close. That is true. Close, but not good. Same, same. When you go to um, places like Vietnam, Vietnam and Thailand and stuff like that, they they've got an expression for for fake clothes, and the people who sell it say same, same but different. That's how I felt about the about the barbarian. Oh, the match on the match. Oh, the match. <laughs> um, so, um, oh, big Hector Guerrero is great. Um, I don't think I've ever seen any Hector. I've seen him, and I thought that guy looks a lot like Eddie Guerrero. And then I realised that they're brothers. Um, <laughs> I didn't know. I thought they were further, like I thought there was further distance in relation between them. But there's a bit where the barbarian takes a tumble out of the ring and then basically disappears into the darkness because <laughs> it is so dark. It's like he's disappearing into like an evil forest or something like that. But he comes out of the evil forest and then hits a lovely springboard headbutt off the bottom rope. Which was a lovely, lovely bit of agility from him. There's a horrible spit spot from Hector Guerrero where mm. they go into a fight and he just gobs in the guy's face and it's horrible. But then, obviously, um, obviously Big Heck and uh, and Barry uh, win after Barry hits an elbow drop. 
which is a definitely our first underwhelming underwhelming yeah. finisher of the night. <laughs> Just an elbow drop, a standing elbow drop for the win. But again, it, this wasn't bad. This wasn't amazing. It wasn't as good as the last match. But I'd say it was it was absolutely fine. I wasn't bored at any point during this match. Tell you what, old old Baz Baz von Raskers, he's uh he's fucking over for an East German, isn't he? Jesus, they absolutely fucking love him. To Tommy's point, old Hector Chavo's dad. Is he Chavo's dad? No. no. Uh, yeah. Isn't he? No. Chavo is Chavo's dad. Oh, yeah. Ch- what? Chavo Senior is That's Chavo right. Junior's dad. Chavo Classic. <laughs> that doesn't happen very often, does it? <laughs> anyway, Hector is on a different level. Barbarian, decent. Decent. I noted the rough bump that he takes outside. Poor little fucker. The pop for Baz von Raskers when he gets in the ring and when he puts that crappy claw on is unfucking real. I reckon people are so excited, they're shitting. They're, he's shitting, Vince. <laughs> they're shitting. Like, it's unbelievable how big the pop is. Like, it caught me off guard. So much so, I can't remember anything else of the match. Because I was just like, that is sensational stuff. And then it ended, and I was like, you know what? That was all right. Well, did you know about Baron von Raschke? I've heard of him. I've seen I've seen a match with him in before. So in 1988, he had a brief stint in the World Wrestling Federation as the manager for the Powers of Pain. Oh, oh. <laughs> that, he wasn't. He wouldn't have been on any pay per views. I don't think. Because I'm sure no, I would have seen. No, that. he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Was that before, pre or post, Mister Fuji? I uh, don't. No, I'm not sure. It was. It was the under 1988. The name... 88. Did you say? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that so would have been. That would have been before. Yeah. So he was under the name of just the Baron. At the time, Baron Varshke is a massive star. Was was a massive mm. star in pro wrestling. I think this is one of those kind of examples of where because he spent his entire career in the AWA pretty much. I mean, he did some stints outside that, but his main body of work was in the AWA. You just don't hear much about him retrospectively because mm. you know he didn't. It's not really a part of history that WWF have celebrated or even looked back on very much. But he was a huge star, and that's why he got such a big pop during yeah. this show. Um, he also made an appearance at Full Gear, apparently, recently. He was in the crowd, according to uh, according to Wikipedia. What last no, a couple of weeks ago? You mean? Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad we've all watched that and noticed. <laughs> so yeah, I thought this was all right. I thought actually Hector was really cool. It was really fun to watch him, see what he was like, and see just the similarities really the way Eddie Guerrero worked. But it was a, it, it just was a bit short. It ended up being seven and a bit minutes, and it did end. It did end a little bit prematurely. I thought a little bit of a a bit of an inconclusive finish. So it got marks down for that. But I thought overall decent, decent little contest. So then we have got uh, a little segment where Johnny Weaver tries to stand outside Dusty Rhodes' dressing room and hope to get an interview with Rhodes. Weaver says that Rhodes hasn't spoken to the press in recent weeks. And then when Weaver tries to get a word with him, Dusty tells him to leave him alone. Weaver gives probably the clunkiest piece to camera to introduce this that they have ever seen. It must be what it's like for people listening to me try and make a point. (laughs) <laughs> he goes all around the houses and then he repeats himself about eight times and then he don't get anything out of dream anyway well waste of everyone's time yeah definitely match four ivan koloff and crusher khrushchev against the kansas jayhawks for the nwa united states television title this is a nine minute match and it ends when khrushchev managed to hit 
Jaggers with a chain and um, Koloff then pins him. Tom, your thoughts on this one? I struggled to watch this match because of the hairiness of Dutch Mantel. Of course Again. you did. Of course you um, did. I, I just thought about him getting me in a head scissors and with his leg, and I was just like, oh God. And then I couldn't get that out of my head. Which I'm one's being... worse? Is it which one's worse? Is it Mantel or Bastion Booger? Ooh. Kate, if we're living in kayfabe, Bastion Booger, because we know he eats out of the bins. Um, <laughs> but in in reality, in a non kayfabe world, probably probably Dutch Mantel, because he doesn't look very clean either. So that would be that would be worse. Head scissors, mm. head scissors, a twenty minute head scissors, a la, <laughs> a la you know Bob Backlund and. Uh, <laughs> And there's, there's, there's you, you, you're knocked out on the floor. I think you've, you've, as you know, old man's clumsy. He's, he's fallen over and hit his head on the steps. And then you're, and then you're there. And someone who doesn't like me, who I don't know who that might be, um, is there go, trying to get you to throw in the towel. And I'm like, Tinky, throw in the fucking towel, please. And you're really, you're really hesitant, standing over old man's unconscious body. <laughs> Let's be honest. Tinky is looking at one place, and that's my sweet ass. When I'm on that floor, <laughs> he's like, cool, look at those cheeks. Um, so this is some kind of, um, not death match, but like a, a no rules lad. No, no DQ. Yeah. Um, so it did make me think, I was like, why do they bother tagging in a no oh. DQ tag match? I was like, this is really daft. But uh, Dutch Mantel cracks out a whip at one point. And I was like, fuck yeah. me, that looks like it hurts. <laughs> um, and I've never seen a whip in a wrestling match, I don't think, before. But yeah, I, I said I couldn't really watch it. Because I was so, too repulsed by Dutch Mantel's hair. So, uh, Crusher Khrushchev, you've heard about him, right? Uh, yeah, because I just watched a pay-per-view with him. In. Well, he's Smash from Demolition. Is he? Uh, yeah. A.K.A. the Repo Man. Repo Man, yeah. Repo no, I didn't repo. know that. Oh, what a lad. Yeah. Oh, about that. He's full of it, isn't he, Tinky? I thought this was, again, pretty decent. Um, nothing too much to shout home, home about. And again, not particularly... You know, exciting, but it was fine. Decent little tag match, no problem at all. I was a bit concerned for the Russian team because one of the commentators points out that the Kremlin will look down on them if they lose. <laughs> and given that, well, maybe that's why Krusha Khrushchev changed his gimmick because he was a bit like, oh, I don't know about this. Oh, Gorbachev fucking getting on his high horse about him. I'm with Tommy about the officiating in this. I thought it was weird. And then the referee's doing counts for stuff. And it's like, mate, there's no DQ. Just lay off. And then when old Dutchman tells whipping folk, he's like, yeah, that's cool. That's fine with me. But if someone doesn't tag and tries to get in the ring, he's like, hey, come on. That's not fair. That's naughty. Now, interestingly, I'm sure I read somewhere the other day, or not the other day, months ago, years ago even, but there's a Costa coffee in the Kremlin I don't know if there is, though. Yeah. I'll just look for it. But I'm well, pretty problem, sure I read there was one. There might be now. There, there wouldn't have been whilst it was still communist, though, would there? Would there? Yeah. Oh, even, even those dirty commies have got like, got like a nice coffee, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't have got it from a chain. Probably an American chain as well. No, 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 I think they're English. I think it's Irish, Costa. No, it's Italian. Right. No, I think it's Irish. Anyway, sorry. Great. Um, another another moment which we lost about another 50% of our audience. <laughs> I found it in London in 1971. There you go. The the only thing I will say about this, the Kansas Jayhawks. I do have trouble with regionalised tag team names. I don't know why. Probably very uh, WWE brainwashed of me to feel that way. But I do. Anyway. 
Would you not feel like it alienates a part of, you know, the people? But I want to give a fuck about these cunts from Kansas. I'm from Oklahoma. They just call them the Jayhawks. Hang on, but you like the Heart Foundation. That's very regional for the chest, isn't it? The Heart. It's spelt H-A-R-T, old man. Come on. Oh, so it's regional to Tony Heart. That's the one. (laughs) I was going to say, the Heart Foundation was with an EA, was a charity shop, wasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Boom, boom. So next up is Rick Rude against Wahoo McDaniel in a nine minute Indian strap match or just a strap match. I think we will call it because mm. obviously they're referring to Native Americans when they say Indian in this particular mm. instance. Wahoo wins the match when he hits all four turnbuckles. That's the only way to win. So, you know, how else is he going to win? The last one when Rude hits Wahoo from behind and he falls into the turnbuckle. After the match, Rude attacks Wahoo until Hector Guerrero and Baron Von Raschke turn up to make the save. Old man. I do not like a strap-on match. Do not like him one bit. They are very boring. Nah, not for me. This is all right, I think because my expectations were quite low. Rick Rude is fantastic. The perfect opponent for someone who looks like they can barely move in Wahoo McDaniel, because he's not a, he's not the youngest of gentlemen, I don't think, at this point. And he's, he's not in the best of shape. He's not in Rick Rude shape. There's two very, uh, two very opposing body types here. But I thought this was okay. I feel like the highlight was that I noticed that Paul Jones very much looks like Freddie Mercury, <laughs> like a um, a really bad imitation Freddie Mercury. <laughs> but the, yeah, this was this was fine for a strap on match. Good, but in terms of a general match, it was fine. So I I've never seen a strap match that I enjoyed. I believe I think I may have only seen one. I think it might have been Savio Vega versus Steve Austin maybe. Um, and in your house, there's definitely one involving Savio Vega anyway, and I can remember not thinking much of it. But I quite enjoyed this. I like the way that both guys in the match use the strap kind of differently to 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 get them their opponents to the corner. So I like the fact that like Rick Rude would like tie Wahoo's hands up, tie them together, and then walk around and drag him around and try and touch them. And I like the fact that like Wahoo would almost like choke Rick Rude and try and get him around. I quite I quite like that. Um, I noted that um, what's his name? Paul? What's his name? Paul White? That's the big Paul Jones. Paul Jones. Um, I thought he came down looking a little bit like a member of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band, um, <laughs> but like a shit one, like a shit covers band, not not a good covers band, like you know the bootleg Beatles, but like a you know like the the Norwest Beatles who played the Jolly Colliers <laughs> down on down in Bedminster. He looked rubbish, but it was it was a pretty it was a pretty brutal match. I thought the ending was a bit crap though, in that basically Rick Rude knees. Wahoo McDaniel in the back, thus propelling him into the last turnbuckle, and he wins. I enjoyed the match, but I thought the ending was a bit of shit. Yes, uh, this is all right, but I think, again, I'm with you on the strap match. In- in- incidentally, when Savio Vega competed in his strap matches, they were Car- Caribbean strap matches. Ah. So, for whatever reason, they like to regionalise or, or or something else with this, um, whatever their, whatever this match is called. I think the uh, the in, the idea though is that this is a speciality of Wahoo McDaniel's, and he is again similar to Baron von Raschke, a very very big name in the history of professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. It's hard to sometimes make the equation here because obviously everything was a bit more regionalized in the 60s and 70s, but you're talking about when you've got people like von Raschke and and, um, uh, and Wahoo McDaniel on the show, you're talking about having kind of like it's almost a bit like having i don't know a uh i don't know maybe a chris jericho level wrestler of now on the show mm. 
in the mid card and then maybe someone like i don't know um I'm trying to think of what edge maybe a sort of edge level wrestler so you're talking about quite big names involved in early matches on this show so um again it, it doesn't quite work because obviously it's just slightly different the business is different mm. it's different it's on a different scale but um that's what we're kind of dealing with here but the thing is what i think is quite interesting because I, these are all names that i know quite well mm. especially and and i think it's because rick flair don't ever stop talking about wacky mcdaniel whenever i interview him he's like like the way that jim ross is always banging on about bill watts um rick flair is always banging on about wacky mcdaniel because he had a massive kind of impact on his on his career didn't he you said just then that he keeps banging on about Wahoo McDaniel whenever you interview him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've interviewed me and Rick, me and Nate for that. The fans can't see, but I've crossed my fingers. <laughs> then we get a backstage interview with Ivan Koloff and Krusha Khrushchev. Ivan Koloff says that they are looking to win thousands of dollars in the upcoming bunkhouse stampede. They also say that they want to go after Rhodes, who turned Nikita Koloff into a traitor. Uh, Nikita, uh, then we get Khrushchev says that if Nikita Koloff wins the title tonight, he will challenge him for the belt, be the first challenger for the title. I don't know why they're talking about this bunkhouse stampede. And we do find out later on what that's about. The only problem is, is that at this point, I'm thinking, OK, so is there some kind of battle royal style match mm. at the end of this show? Got a little bit confused, I've got to be honest. I also well, couldn't understand a fucking word they were saying at the beginning because the audio is absolutely <laughs> dreadful. I was just disappointed there was no Bunko Stampede match on the show. Because I, I wrote in my notes, I was like, is this tonight? That'd be good. It does it does seem like it's going to be the way they're talking, it's but unfortunately, tonight. no. It's not. The following match is Bill Dundee against Sam Houston. Sam Houston's defending his NWA Central States heavyweight title. It's a ten and a half minute match. It ends when the referee goes down inadvertently and then Bill Dundee uses Houston's boot to hit him. Uh, but the referee manages to see it and disqualifies Bill Dundee. Tom? Um, I quite enjoy this match. Nice, it's nice to see a, a the classic rivalry between uh, Scotland versus Texas, which I think we all, we all you know, we know is a, is a great rivalry. Oh, you go, old man. Did you know that Sam Houston is Jake Roberts' brother? I do now. Yeah, there we go. How about that? Why is and, his name not Roberts? Well, I don't know. Who knows? Different mums, perhaps. Maybe they raised oh, maybe, different women. Yeah. Actually, less said about his dad, the better. Um, there's a couple of there's a couple of great Sa- uh, Sam Houston askems to the referee <laughs> when he's got him in head scissors, which I which I, quite, I always love it when people command the referee to ask someone if they're going to quit or not, especially when there's no chance it's going to happen. I.e., you're in a head scissors about thirty seconds into the match. Um, I quite <laughs> liked I quite liked a bit of Bill Dundee. I must admit, he yeah. I find him quite entertaining, very flamboyant, quite good in Healy, and he throws very flamboyant, massively telegraphed punches, which basically come from across the room very slowly. <laughs> um, but it was it was really fun, and there's there's one spot in it that I noted, which is really nice. There's a like um I think uh, Dundee's got Houston into into a Boston Crab, which then goes into a failed planning predicament when and they kind of fall into the ropes. And basically they both it all kind of fucks up and it's a proper botch. But what I really liked about it that Dundee's evidently like switched on and literally as soon as they land he just starts choking Sam Houston with the ropes mm. I just thought it was quite cool just a nice little spot like him obviously being able to improvise and think on his feet really quickly when things didn't go didn't go um didn't go quite to plan but uh, yeah I enjoyed the match I could have done without the this is a th- we haven't really mentioned this a lot a lot but this is one of the times where there's quite a bit of there's still a, another more fighting after the match after the match is finished and that happens quite a lot on this card 
but I still thought this match was better than I was expecting it to be. Yeah, like Tommy, I was very impressed with old, old Bill Dundas. I thoroughly enjoyed him. I thought he was really good. When he uh, when he appeared, I was like, he's wearing very high tights. I was like, I'm not sure about this guy, to be honest. But fair fucks to him. He starts chucking those punches. And old Sammy H, he sells those punches like they are a pool ball in a football sock, whacking him in the face. Mm-hmm. It is fantastic. I really like this. I just enjoyed it. Pretty much entirely, I suppose. So much so that I actually really quite like the finish as well. But it's kind of tempered because I wanted a bit more. I wanted a bit more of these two going at it, to be honest. But thoroughly enjoyable stuff. And kind of a little um, a little pickup I think I needed because I was enjoying I enjoying the show to this point. And this just raised it up a little bit. And I was like, oh, hello. Because well, we're going to be into the back half after this match. I was like, this could be a bit of a diamond in the rough, this. <laughs> I got very confused by that then. So I didn't mind this match. It was all right. I, I think by this point I was getting a little bit eager for something. I don't know, just a little bit of the bigger matches. I think I was starting to get eager for, you know, this was the sixth match and it was each of them were a little bit kind of, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I just was I just finding things a little bit repetitive at this point And I just needed something else. I think at this point, what I'll do is I'll give you a little, um, little bit of trivia. Here okay. Um, so one of these two men, has a son that has appeared at a WrestleMania. Now, so if you can tell me who it is, you get one point uh, because it's a 50-50 question. But if you can tell me what what WrestleMania they appear at, you can have 10 points. And if you can tell me what match they appear at, I'll give you a million points. And it's only one WrestleMania? I believe so. Okay, so I'm going to guess it's Bill Dundee's son and his son is Orlando Jones. Is that a person? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> no. Who's the? Who's okay? Who's the 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 guy that was the black guy who was gay? Orlando Jordan. Um, Orlando yeah. Jordan. And he's in. He was like in the corner of JBL in JBL's corner. All right. Oh, I, I'm gonna go. Sam Houston, obviously because uh, Tommy went Bill Dundee, and I am gonna go. Fucking hell. Nah, nah. I, I'm, I'm putting some thought into this. I'm thinking this is going to be this is gonna have to be cut. I don't think it was exciting, as exciting as no. you thought it was going to be. I, I want these million points. So I reckon it's WrestleMania 9 and it's Giant Gonzalez. <laughs> <laughs> so it's WrestleMania 13. It is Bill Dundee's son at WrestleMania <laughs> 13. Fuck you, old man. Uh, J- Jamie Dundee also performed as JC Ice as a member of the tag team PG-13 and they were part of the Nation of Domination for Ahmed Johnson and the Legion of Doom. I tell you what right? genuinely we could have been here <laughs> the rest of the year. We nearly were old man. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I wouldn't have gone that. rest of the year is incredibly ambitious I think. Yeah. Well to be fair I said I still wouldn't have gone it. Oh, yes. I, don't, I don't know when I would have gone it but I bloody would have. <laughs> yeah if it weren't for those damn time constraints of a podcast yeah. you've got that no problem yeah so that's who he is uh his son was nice. anyway so that is halfway through the show so let's let's take our little break there one thing we haven't mentioned before i before i take the break one thing i haven't mentioned is that as we said this is at two different arenas but they alternate arenas on the mm-hmm. show whereas which is different from wrestlemania 2 of course which had four matches at the first of arena then four matches at the second arena, then four matches at the third arena, and that was the entire show. Whereas this goes from arena 
back back and forth between the two different very things. very strange it must have been very odd to be in the crowd what would you have done unless they had like dark matches or like short like well, local, feeling, maybe got local wrestlers or something like that in, well i got or... a feeling that they were done as like short uh, like closed circuit cameras so i think they had closed circuit televisions Oh, so, so you're sitting there, and then they're going to get a really bad neck from looking at the massive screen for ages. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Brilliant. And then you wonder, you wonder why people have got such problems with posture. I bet you, if you go back and look at people around that age who went to that show in 1986, we've got terrible neck issues now. <laughs> I, um, I personally very much enjoyed the back and forth because you get the two sets of commentators, mm. both of yeah. whom I actually really quite like, purely because... You only get a match of them, and then they fuck off for a match. Yeah, I yeah if I had to listen, to, if I had to listen to four hours of Bob Cadle, it'd be rough. Yeah, I've I've listened to quite a bit of Bob Cadle on the Mid Atlantic shows, and I don't, as well. I don't rate him <laughs> at all. But Bob Cadle was also the lead announcer for Smoky Mountain Wrestling, which was obviously we spoke we spoke about last week, Jim Cornette's mm. promotion. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and see if I can get me some Smoky Mountain at some point, and we'll come on to that a little bit later. Okay, Ooh. cool. We'll be back in just a moment. <laughs> I think I'm underwhelmed. Think you sounded back. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Howdy, partner. Come on and have a cup of coffee. I'm glad you could make it because I've been asked to explain a few things about a bunkhouse stampede match, and I consider myself an authority on it. But I was in the first one that was ever held in Texas. And I came out of it with a broken arm. And where they derived from was in the western part of the country where you had 10, 15, 20 men living in a, a bunkhouse, something like this behind us here. And when you put men that close together, you've got to have problems. You had a lot of bad blood between some people. When there was no other way to, to settle it, you did one thing, you went outside and you went the way you were. You might have your boots on, you might have your jeans, have your shirt, your spurs, whatever. And that's how you went out. And your winner of something like that was the man that was left standing. And now they've come along, like I said, a few years ago and they had this bunkhouse stampede. Dory Funk Sr. had it in Texas. And it's one of the wildest things you'll ever see in your life. The second worst thing that you can be in and most dangerous match is a battle royal where you've got 20 men in the ring and the only way that you can be eliminated is to be thrown over the top rope. Well, you take these two and you combine them, put them together, and you've got something that's really a deadly match. Because money, greed, and bad blood make things a lot tougher than what they really are because you've got men that come in this ring and like I said, they can bring anything they want to bring. There are virtually no rules. There's nothing to stop a man from doing anything. He can bring a cowbell, he can bring a good branding iron, do whatever he wants. Because when you get into this type of match, you have no friends. Because there's no, there's no such thing as a friend when you're in that. You have to watch your back, your front, everything about you. You're in danger of being hurt. You get broken legs because of people flying around in the rain. Like I said, when there's money involved, 
There's a lot of things can happen. And the only way that you can be a winner in this, you've got to be the last man standing in the middle of the ring. And when I say the last man standing, Mr. That's, that is a problem within itself. And believe me, when you can only be eliminated from this match is to throw you over the top rope. And then when you're the last man standing in the middle of the ring, then brother, you can call yourself the bull of the woods. And then you are the man. Okay then, welcome back. So next up we have a hair versus hair match, which features Jimmy Valiant against Paul Jones. This one only lasts four minutes, and uh, this all centers around the use of some form of object that Paul Jones has. Uh, Jones hits Valiant with it. Um, it, He grabs out of his tights and hits Valiant with it. Uh, Valiant is busted open, but he makes a comeback, and then Valiant gets hold of the object, hits Jones with it in front of the referee, but that didn't matter apparently, and gets a pin to a big pop. Valiant gets the victory. Uh, the hair versus hair stipulation was not, though, for uh, Valiant's hair anyway. It was for his valet, Big Mama's hair, or Paul Jones's hair. And after the match, Valiant and some of his cohorts shave Paul Jones' hair. Old man. So pretty much, there's a guy, Raging Ball, comes down who's got a fantastic hair, but it's also disgusting. So that I'm like, that needs to go. Because I'd not understood the rules. I thought Paul Jones was fighting to see Raging Ball's hair. But Raging Ball gets put into a little cage, a la Paul Heyman, in a show we watch. But he don't want to get in this cage, and it's wonderful, because basically half the locker room come out, and they fucking get him in that cage. And the, like it's just a way to get the, the crowd so hot for this, because they want Paul Jones to be bold like me. And who wouldn't want to be bold like me? Look how great I look. Come on, listeners, look how great I look. You don't know. You don't know. But then the match starts. It's not particularly good, to be honest. It's not going to be very good. It's four minutes. I don't really know whether Paul Jones is a proper wrestler. Probably not, looking at his Freddie Mercury-style looks. And Jimmy Valiant is perfectly fine. They call him the Wookie Boogie Man, is it? Boogie, boogie, woogie. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'm always getting me woogies and me boogies mixed up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is this is fine. I um, I like that he shaves his head straight away. And also, there was a little look at me when Tinky said it was a hair versus hair match. He just had a little look into the camera. <laughs> I think he was looking to see my reaction. Because I had an issue with the one at NXT TakeOver uh, Fatal 4-Way. Because they made it sound like it was gruesome to be bold. Like, horrendous. They don't do this here. They're laughing because Paul Jones has had his head shaved. Not because he looks hideous, but because it's just like, nah, Paul Jones is bold. Like, if one of you two got into a hair versus hair match and you had your head shaved, I'd have a good old chuckle. But I won't make you feel bad about it because you're bold. I make you feel bad about it because you look like a pair of cunts. That's why I made you feel bad about. But yeah, this is fine. I, I I did think to myself, I was like, this is gonna get old man's feckles up, isn't it? He's not gonna he's not gonna have a good time watching this. He's gonna annoy him at some point. And as we know, yeah, the crowd are loving it because there's no more thing, no more, nothing more disgusting in wrestling than a bold man. 
apparently. Oh, see, I, I've just moved away from that. This is deeply offensive. You've pulled the memories back. And are we? I was watching. Are we watching Jimmy Valiant? Or are we watching Willie Nelson in a wrestling match? <laughs> that I could think of. Um, I wouldn't like to be suspended in that cage. It looks yeah. fucking high. I, mm. And I'm not. I'm not necessarily. So my thing is, I'm not afraid of heights, but I don't like being suspended above things. Mm. Luckily, in my normal day to day existence, that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> but but I hate like a Ferris wheel or a. Uh, or a, a, a what do you call them these when these things that will take up like a ski lift or like you know, those sex, things sex swing yeah well no I love better that mate <laughs> but um but no it it was it was it was okay I mean you're right about the the whole illegal weapon that you never really quite see do you it's always in and out of the pants in and out of the pants it looks like it might be a folded up piece of A4 paper <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly and again even after the the head tune there's still some more post-match shenanigans with people getting involved again and I'm like come on it's happened a little bit more now and I at, at this stage Tiki I'm where you were with the last match I'm like oh god it's another fucking old cunt versus someone I've never heard of like and and <laughs> unlike the rest of the matches I quite enjoyed but this one was was just a bit daft and Jimmy Valiant he just looks like what I imagine he probably is which is just an old hippie um he should have managed or oh, what's his name CJ Parker that'd have been amazing <laughs> yeah um, but it was just a bit like, mm, didn't love this match. And I'm not going to lie, Big Mama, not that big, is she? Caught me off guard. I was expecting her to be larger than that. And it is weird that, that again, they, they mentioned later on that Jimmy Valiant was also in a hair match at another event, which makes me think that's all he does. But he always seems to bet other people's hair. <laughs> it's very weird. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not really, it's not like, I mean, like it reminded me of... um. That bit in um, AEW a couple of weeks ago when when Matt Hardy, well, a couple of months ago now, when Matt Hardy volunteered Jack, what's his name, to Jack fight, um, yeah, to fight Jack Evans against uh, against Orange Cassidy in a hair versus hair match. He's like, he's like, and that's why Jack Evans is going to challenge you to hair versus hair. There's like, no peril in it for for big for big Jimmy Valiant. He's like, well, I'm keeping my hair and my amazing Willie Nelson beard. I'm not worried about this. I'm a big mama. Get prepared to have your head shaved, love. Seems a bit, you know, not the, you know, the most, not the most chivalrous thing to do. Or maybe not having that pressure helps him win the matches because mm. it's not his on the hair, his hair on the line. So he just, you know, stays calm and wins them. Maybe. Or maybe it's it's in the encouragement that he needs because I'm assuming that Jimmy Valiant and Big Mama are in a consensual relationship. Maybe he doesn't want a bold lady hanging around, so he's like, you know what, I need to win this match. Because if she goes bold, I'm out the door. So the only thing I can think of when Jimmy Valiant comes to mind is that in about, again, 1982 in uh, Mid-Atlantic, he had previously been in the WWF as one of the Valiant brothers, tag team champions multiple times, and went to Mid-Atlantic. And he had always been a heel in WWF. Came into Mid-Atlantic and his song was The Boy from New York City by the Manhattan Transfer. That was his that was his theme tune. And effectively also his gimmick, he was the boy from New York City. Hmm. Worth bearing in mind, Jimmy Valiant is from Tennessee. So it doesn't sound <laughs> a thing like he's from New York. And his gimmick tended to be he would run to the ring whilst this song played. He would like attack the heels who were attacking somebody else or his match he'd come out for his match and his music would continue to play during his match and then he'd win in like 30 seconds but the other problem is is i watched this on the wwe network who weren't allowed to show weren't allowed to play the song the boy see by the manhattan transfer so they play this absolutely piss poor dubbed over rockabilly rock and roll type fucking song 
it's just really oh it's just really bad um also how, how old is jimmy valiant oh, he's in, this he's in this match in this match He's just old in general. Yeah, I think he was born at like I think he was born eighty years old. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. but like generally, how old old man? How old do you think he is in this match? Uh, I reckon he is forty five. Yeah, that's annoying. I think so, he was forty four at that time. But you, come you on, just did get your thing. age out. You just did the thing that Holly has a go at me for doing, which is that she asked me things like that, and what she wants me to do is guess oh seventy, like yeah. something like that. And then and then Tom can go, oh, he's 40. No, no, he's 44. It's unbelievable, isn't it? But you know when someone asks you that question. Yeah. There's a reason why you're <laughs> they're asking you it. And you're like, well, I'm obviously going to change my answer now. All right, okay, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to do this again later. And this, this <laughs> the one genuinely blew my mind. So I'm not going to get you to guess how old they are, but I'm going to tell you how old they are. And not I think you'll maybe. be shocked. So after this, we get Tony Schiavone promoting that the bunkhouse stampede is coming up in December. Then we go to a video vignette of Nelson Royal outside a hut with a fire going, (laughs) talking about the bunkhouse stampede. He talks about Dory Funk Jr. holding one in Texas. Then we see clips of a previous bunkhouse stampede stampede match. And he says that men can bring anything to the ring they want and the winner will win lots of money. It's just so weird. And the, the yeah. country music in the background is very odd. I didn't know who the bloke was. I still don't know who he is. Um, but the, the he was in the of... opening. He was in the opening match. <laughs> oh, was it? <laughs> is it that guy? Is it? Um, yeah. Which one is he? Was he one of the guys in the blue? Probably. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> um, well, that, that, you know, you've got a 75 percent chance that it was. So <laughs> then, then, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, th- there was some like footage in there of the, of the bunk. And I've never seen a bunkhouse match i don't think and i was like do you know what i'm up for that because that looks like proper southern wrestling (laughs) 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 that is really tickled old man (laughs) it was his face after he'd done it he's so pleased with himself and i've I've never seen any southern wrestling before (laughs) (laughs) and i thought it looked quite fun I can believe how little charisma that man has. <laughs> I, I wrote um, Bunkhouse Stampede promo video. It's fantastic stuff. Maybe want to watch it. But the dude telling the story, who, again, it, I didn't marry up who it was, doesn't quite have as much charisma as my little toe. And you know what? <laughs> I bloody stand by that. Because, one, I've got a terribly charismatic little toe. And, two, this guy is not charismatic. But you know what? Bunkhouse Stampede, I'd be in. Because what what is it, Tom? Southern wrestling. <laughs> I like the um, idea of this. I like the idea of yeah. somebody kind of this kind of setting and somebody talking about like almost like it's a an old wives' tale. Oh, you know, I mm. remember the bunkhouse stampede from when I was five years old and I saw the violent men. Kind of that kind of thing just sounds quite mm. quite interesting way of in, introducing the match. So I call it that. It, it made like old man. It made me want to watch one. Maybe you want, to, maybe yeah. you want to dig one out and watch it. So I might do that at some point. I suppose so, it, it isn't the problem because I actually agree with what you're saying there, Tingy. But now Sir Royal must be 50. Mm. So he's like, wrestling ain't been going that long, but his mum is going, I remember watching some Southern wrestling, as Tommy would put it, when some cunt beat some other cunt and threw him over the top ropes. 
So after this, there's the first of two short intermissions. And when we come back, Tony Schiavone announces that the Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup Tag Team Tournament, my goodness, that is a mouthful, is coming up in April. We then get Bob Taylor. No, not that Bob Taylor, not the Bristol City striker (laughs) from the early 1990s, but a a man called Bob Taylor talking about this. Super Bob, 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 Super Bob, 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 Super Bob, Super Bobby Taylor. Should never have got him started on this shit. Um, Bob Taylor talks about the tournament that took place earlier in the year, and we see footage of the Midnight Express winning a match. We also see a victory for the Rock and Roll Express over the Sheep Herders, as well as Tiger Mass and Giant Baba winning a match. We then see footage from the final between the Road Warriors and Magnum TA and Ron Garvin when the Road Warriors win the tournament overall. We see also that the Road Warriors being presented with the trophy. And (laughs) a million dollars. And a million dollars, yeah. Yeah. Why why they're still wrestling is beyond me. Yeah. <laughs> like in 1986, well, a million dollars still is a very large amount of money there now. But back then, oh, lovely stuff. I also love the the footage of the of the Crockett's giving the uh, Road Warriors the cup, and the uh, the speech from Jim Crockett's mum. <laughs> why they yeah. brought her out, I don't know. And you want to talk about that last bloke? <laughs> Fucking hell, the charisma on this old dear is is absolutely shocking. I want to say something in relation to old man's toe, but I can't think of anything smart or funny. Mm. But what well, I will say, again, probably not as charismatic as his toe. Well, I, I think it was probably good that you that you didn't say anything too smart or funny, because let's be honest, this is the Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup. So yeah. this is the widow, widow, I presume, of Jim Crockett Senior that, that yeah. they've wheeled out here. So don't be too harsh on her. Can I just say as well that the Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup, right, and this is a theme, especially now we're in the back half of the show, whenever they reference something, so they talk about Starcade 86, obviously. They repeat Starcade 86, and in this case, Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup. They just repeat it constantly through the little promo things. It's like they're brainwashing me into did wanting you, to watch it, but did I didn't you, want to watch it. Did you not appreciate the Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup tag team tournament footage we got here? <laughs> because I really enjoyed the Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup tag team. <laughs> The clip of the R&R Express looks amazing. Mm. Like that crowd are hotter than a pair of bollocks after a run. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I agree. Um, I don't know about the bollocks because I don't really do much running. Um, but my bollocks are quite warm generally most of the time anyway. Um, but I, uh, I thought if, again, your, if your bollocks had entered this tag team tournament, they'd have won the Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Tag Team Tournament, wouldn't they? <laughs> so no one can, no, no one can fucking slam those bad boys. I'll tell you that much. You thought Lex Luger slamming fucking Yokozuna on that boat was a sight. <laughs> um, the, the, um, the any basically, I've got to the point where anything with an express in the title. Well, no, not anything, because I think is there a tag team called the Orient Express who are a bit rubbish. Um, oh, but great. Orient Express are great. Are they? Oh, okay, I haven't seen. My, okay, I need. To, all right, do you know what? Fuck it, I'll include them in it. So, any tag team with the word Express in, I'm watching. Now, <laughs> I want to watch as much as I can because I've enjoyed them very much, and I'm looking forward to. They're potentially. I don't know what's happening on the card yet, but I'm looking <laughs> forward to some Expressos later. <laughs> Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express, Orient Express, Jurassic Express. I mean, oh, I like, love yeah. Jurassic Express. It, it, well. it might well be a rule. S, it might S well Express be was yeah. two people, I believe. What was it? Was that a duo? Yeah, I think so. In fairness, their wrestling careers were cut short by injuries to their big toes, a la Gary Lineker's time in Japan. 
So the next match we get is Ron Garvin versus Big Bubba Rogers. Big Bubba Rogers is introduced as Jim Cornette's bodyguard, and is of course the big boss man. Yes. We have it's a street fight, and it is just under twelve minutes in length. Big Bubba boss man. So basically, this can be one in one of this can be one in one of two ways. Either the person can be pinned, or they can be counted down on the map for ten, almost like a last man standing contest. And there's a bit of shenanigans at the end of this one. So effectively what happens is Garvin slams Bubba from the top and then hits a pile driver. But in um, the resulting cover, Bubba pushes Garvin off and he he leans or falls onto ref Tommy Young. Cornette then hits Garvin with the tennis racket and both men in the match are counted to 10 by Tommy Young. Tommy Young then tells the commentators that they're the first man to his feet will be the winner because there must be a winner in this match. Corner is in the ring then pleading with Bubba to get up, but Tommy Young shoves him out of the ring to quite a big pop. Mm. Then just as Garvin is getting to his feet, Bubba grabs uh, Tommy Young, the referee, by his feet, allowing Cornette to clip Garvin from behind, bringing him back down. And then Rogers wins when he gets to his feet. Tom. Lovely. Yeah. Do you know what? So I was watching this and I was like, you know, big Bubba looks fucking amazing. Looks real hard, real tough. And, and intimidating until he takes off his hat and sunglasses and then he just looks like a portly teenager who's just finished school <laughs> this match is pretty brutal i was i was kind of taken aback a little bit and again i've heard back in the day lots of southern rattling was pretty pretty brutal pretty bloody there's some um, attempted hangings there's blood there's biting some brutal stiff head headbutts bear hugs Oh, the bear hugs are savage in this match. And there's a, there's a moment in the match where Big Bubba Bossman takes a, a, a very mild-looking forearm to the chest and then sells it by flying over the top rope, which <laughs> seems very excessive. Um, There's an absolutely savage-looking pile driver by Big Ronnie as well, by Big Rugged Ron mm-hmm. on, the, on Bubba Bossman. And then I wrote, like, Bubba wins after some nonsense, so I'm glad you kind of clarified that. I was watching this, though, and I did. I couldn't help but think, didn't, and I double-checked this, didn't Jim Cornette slag off ECW and hardcore wrestling in general? Now, I know this is like a, you know, it's not every match on the card, etc. So it's a pretty violent, not very technical, not very story-based driven match either. It's just, again, two big bollocks crashing against each other and drawing a bit of blood and then having a little bit of silly shenanigans in the end. And I was like, yeah, Cornette, I still think you're a bit of a prey. So I don't really I, see what the difference is. Well, I think there's a little bit of a nuance there. I mean, you, you're not entirely wrong. I just think that Cornet, you're right, whilst this is a little bit violent, it's perhaps not that dangerous. Like, it's not like these guys are really, like... Don't know, that, bear, that bear hug. <laughs> um, and also, the blood is not hard way, is it? I mean, it's 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 all bladed blood. I, so it's not I, like... It's, I'm not sure those headbutts. Yeah, there's one. Well, you're right, really actually. You're horrible, right, actually, yeah. about the headbutts. You are right about the headbutts. I don't know. I think the the idea is that Cornette's saying that ECW was the time when wrestling, when wrestlers started becoming the marks and the fans started mm. to become good because they're basically saying, you know, we used to pretend to hurt each other and the fans used to react. Now they only react when we hurt each other, basically. So I think that's, you know, for real, you know, we actually, we genuinely mm-hmm. do hurt each other. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not here to defend Jim Cornette, and I think there's definitely something in that, but I think he was probably making a slightly more nuanced point than just violence. Also, at this point on, there's lo- lots of blood. 
<laughs> well, not lots of blood. There but, are. Yeah, there and is every match, I think, mm. from this point has blood in it as well. Which, again, do you know, I was like, you know, this is different. Don't see this. Very mm. rarely. And it's not... Whilst there is some some element of it being a, a little bit excessive, because I don't necessarily think you need it in every match, it's not like Eddie Guerrero versus JBL where it's just pumping out of his out of their heads. It's just oh, like a, hmm. a bit of a, a bit of a, a, a smattering, a sousson of blood, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> and that is what makes Southern wrestling <laughs> great. <laughs> He's going to just keep saying that over and over again. Now, the I I would agree with you, Tom. If it weren't for what the rules were in the next match, but I will get well, to yeah. that. In a we'll get to that mm-hmm. in a minute. Oh man, did you have any other thoughts you wanted to put into I this? I did. I thoroughly enjoyed this. I mean, the crowd again. Like obviously, old uh, rugged Ronald has got is the man with the iron fists. So he's whacking Bubba all round, and the crowd every punch. They're like fucking have it, you fucking big shit. Fucking come on, and they're absolutely. Uh, loving it and then when you think big bubba boss man's gonna get on top if you're part of the expression and then he comes back with his fists it's like oh the crowd are going electric and then bubba puts on the worst bear hug i've ever seen (laughs) (laughs) which i mean it's like he's it's like when you see like a family out and you see the mum or the dad holding a toddler and they're holding them but the toddler's got their legs like wrapped around them and they're holding them away and they're doing that like little thing where they're pretending to put their heads together. Only reference that because I was at the armistice thing yesterday and I saw someone doing it. And it reminds me, oh, that's Big Bubba, that's Big Bubba and old Ronald. <laughs> and uh, that's what it looks like. It's just someone holding someone, basically. But outside of that, they beat the fucking piss out of each other. as <laughs> And I this, and I didn't realise, but this is exactly what I needed. Because I think without realising it, I was kind of airing into the territory that you boys have kind of talked about. Whereas I could just needed a little need a little finger in the ass just to wake me up, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but instead I got a Ronnie Garvin fist. <laughs> and that's Father Rass has one with me. brilliant. So the uh, fourth match from the end, we still have four matches to go, is Tully Blanchard against Dusty Rhodes for the NWA World Television Championship. Now, Dusty Rhodes goes into this as the champion. It lasts for seven and a half minutes. Well, this one ends. It's a first blood match as well, I should make clear. That's what I was talking about earlier on. Like, there's a lot of blood at the end of the show, and it would have been fine if one of them didn't rely on the idea of blood to make it interesting <laughs> and i thought this was a bit poorly placed but obviously the reason is is that they don't want dusty Rhodes to be pinned or submitted but they do want to get the title off him clearly mm. because he loses his title here uh, as a consequence of the following end so Tully Blanchard is obviously one member of the Four Horsemen and is accompanied to the ring by J.J. Dillon. As, as part of that, Dusty lands on a person we haven't mentioned up to this point, but features quite heavily towards the end of the show, as in referee Earl Hebner. Uh, yes, Epstein. Just, just before his uh, long period in the WWF. 
Dusty did, actually lands on. Did he get, did he get sacked from Jim Crockett for nicking t-shirts? <laughs> no, he got hired by WWF in order to play the role of someone who was had surgery to look like Dave Hebner, his twin brother. <laughs> <laughs> so Dusty lands on Heb- Hebner um, when Dylan grabs Dusty's leg, and again when Dusty suplexes Blanch- Blanchard. So Earl Hebner is in the wars right at this point. Um, Jay Dillon again then gives Blanchard a shoe, but Dusty gets hold of it and then throws it away and after pounding on him with his elbows cuts him open but Hebner is still down Blanchard's head then gets wiped by J.D. Dillon from the outside and then Blanchard hits Dusty with a roll of coins busting him open Dusty is then face to face with Hebner as Hebner comes to and he sees Dusty bleeding and ends the match handing Blanchard the title Tom. Um, Do you know what? I quite enjoyed this match The thing that I'm noticing throughout the majority of these matches now there are a lot matches and they are quite relentless because they are basically back to back to back but none of them are massively long to like really outstay their welcome and with this match being seven minutes long basically it entirely served its purpose um dust and this is i must be it must admit this is probably one of the first times or certainly one of the most memorable times that i've seen dusty roads either in or, or or maybe close to his prime um i.e not with the polka dots in WWF, and I always thought it was a bit rubbish in WWF. Um, but like you said a million times before, Tinky, and you've obviously said, oh man, it's all about the presentation. And and Dusty Rhodes, um, his entrance, he gets the old Goldberg entrance, um, does, and yeah. he is made to look a massive deal when he comes out. At the beginning of the match, there's a lovely bit when uh, when JJ Dillon's trying to put like a wrestling cap on oh, <laughs> on Tully Blanchard, presumably to to stop him from opening up, and Earl Hebner won't let him go for it, and they're selling this for ages as if it's a massive yeah. personal affront, which is very enjoyable. To which then Dusty punches or elbows uh, JJ Dillon, who then bleeds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the ring bleeding. Um, so not only do we have both of the competitors end up bleeding, but also so does the manager on the outside, which seems a little bit excessive. The beginning of it, I thought was quite quite interesting because there's quite a good dynamic involving both the wrestlers trying to basically evolve, uh, uh, trying to avoid being punched. But I will say this, and again, this this might be naivety for me from having not seen too many Dusty Rhodes matches, but I'm not sure about him doing this like dancing camp kind of like thing in the ring when it's been so serious, everything up to now. It just seemed a little bit old and a little bit out of place. Like like you said, when we reviewed the Survivor Series 2010, that absolute piece of shit of a show. Old man, you mentioned about how John Cena doesn't do his normal John Cena antics on the way to the ring and i don't know why dusty Rhodes is doing this now again that might have been something he did well i'm assuming it's something he did all the time i just didn't think it was particularly called for during this match then i also thought to myself about about a first blood match what happens if you accidentally hardway someone and they're like oh there you go match is over <laughs> do you know what i mean like it seems like a bit of a risky one and the way in which dusty like hardways jade uh, hardways uh telly blanchard is pretty fucking brutal isn't it? But I actually quite enjoyed this match. I, I thought it was good. Um, I like the intensity of it, and the, the end is a little bit silly, but you can really tell why the crowd loved Dusty so much through this match, because when he loses his title, he reacts in a way that somebody would if they just lost something that they genuinely care about in an unjust way, and I think it's, that is done really well. That being said, when Earl Hebner wakes up, sees Dusty Rhodes, and then wipes his forehead and looks at his hand and goes, yep, that is blood I can see running from your head. <laughs> I was like, that is fucking gross. That's yeah. absolutely disgusting. But yeah, I thought this was good. I enjoyed this match. I would say Tommy's done a fantastic job here of running it down. 
can't argue with a thing that you said, apart from everything. No, no. Now, I, <laughs> I really enjoyed this. My one qualm with it, and this is a very small thing, is old Dustall, it's J.J. Dillers with his elbow. And J.J. Dillers, as a little blade, lovely old job. He then, so from that point of view, I was like, from that point on, sorry, I was like, right, what's going to be, what's going to happen here is the old Tolster is going to be doing everything he can to avoid that elbow. And Dusty Rhodes hits it quite early on. And I was like, oh, I thought they were going to, like, I thought, cause I thought that was going to be the finish. I thought he was going to get him with the elbow eventually. He'd have been trying to get, get away from it. But that would have been how I would have done it. But the way they did it, just thoroughly enjoyed it. Just thought it was good stuff. Like, oh, Hebner takes a fucking whipping in this match. This, like, the suplex onto him. Mm. They suplex him. I know we had this um, a few weeks ago where uh, someone got suplexed onto him and ended up like, yeah. This looks like, what, GBH, to be honest with you. But yeah, good stuff. Not the kind of thing, to be honest, not really the type of thing that I would normally think I'd enjoy. But I think because the setting, because of what I watched before, I think I was like, you know what? I'll get a bit of that. Fucking blade your cunts. So uh, the thing you were referring to before, the Bret Hart Sting match, where the referee was just led down in the middle of the <laughs> ring and got suplexed onto. Now, yeah. that looked genuinely dangerous because I thought they were going to break his legs. This looked less dangerous, but still quite brutal because yeah. it kind of just was just straight on to Earl Hebner. What I liked about the match, especially in the early going, was the fact that they would hit their opponent and then they would ask the referee to check. Yeah. To see if there was any blood. I quite like that. I just thought, again, it's it's really simple, but they're in the pursuit of winning the match. And mm-hmm. that is really so important. Like, it just changes the whole dynamic. The minute you get that feeling that the people are invested in actually winning, it just turns everything on its head. You're like, oh, well, you know, this is it doesn't matter if there's any personal issue between them. They want to win. And therefore, yeah. it just becomes like a sporting contest, just like any other that you could enjoy just to see who wins. So. It's such a simple thing. And of course, they also have the personal issue between the two. So even you know, both of those things together then become something greater as a whole. So I, I, I enjoyed the match. I didn't. It wasn't amazing. It was only seven minutes long. So it wasn't a hugely long match, yeah. but decent enough. I still don't think, Tom, that this really is dusty in his prime. I still think this is a few years after it, um, but but still decent. And certainly in terms of what he means to the crowd, he's still very much a very popular wrestler. Yeah, I did. I did see close to yeah definitely and i the other thing to bear in mind is that dusty is the booker of jim crockett by this point as well according to the mid show credits which i'm sure yeah. we'll discuss in a bit yeah <laughs> yeah we'll get there so the next match is we finally get to see where why that scaffold has been uh, put up and why this is called night of the skywalkers as well mm. because it is time for a tag team match between the road warriors and the midnight express this is Road Warrior Hawk and Animal, of course. They've got Paul Ellering with them. And the Midnight Express pairing that are managed by Jim Cornell, this time Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry, not Stan Lane, as we have previously seen. The match goes for seven minutes and ends in the typical fashion, where uh, basically the Midnight Express try to run away or start to try and get down from the scaffold. But the, uh, the Road Warriors catch up to them. They knock them off and the Road Warriors win. After the match, Jim Cornette starts to run away from Paul Ellering and the Road Warriors who are chasing after him. He tries to run up the scaffold to escape, 
gets to the middle of the scaffold but gets cut off by animal who has gone up the other side of the scaffold and then he dangles from the scaffold and takes a bit of a bump himself oh man what were your thoughts on this one so there's some great music for the old uh, midnight express some lovely like 80s kind of like synthy stuff lovely old job and decent music for the old road wazers as well that's pretty much what i got to say about the old road wazers apart from when uh so the old mech express uh like kind of like climbing up and then they're not sure they're not sure animal does the old chicken there's the old <laughs> two-armed chicken and i was like lovely old job old dennis condry in his tiny shorts is climbing up the scaffold and they get he gets to the top and then a part falls off so one of the uh mm. bars that's a rail falls off and i'm like i ain't fucking going anywhere near that and i was like no wonder they're fucking they look shit scared and then eventually we get into the match in inverted commas, where it's basically people lying down <laughs> on this structure, understandably terrified that they're going to fall off the side. Because they say it's 25 feet in the air. And in fairness, <laughs> it's probably 15, which is still a long fucking way. Actually, probably higher than that. It's probably closer to 20. Mm. But anyway. But are we including from the ground? Because there's obviously no, the, uh, the, no, the ring. Yeah, so I was thinking to the ring. It's still a long yeah. way. It's still it a is. long way. It's still too far. And Cornet is going around. He's moaning to the commentators, doing a, doing a decent job of it. And he says, it's stupid. And I'm just like, you know what, Jim, it is. Because it just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work. Like we had the last time when old, old, old Matty Robs got an earful of it as well. When Tommy was off on paternity leave, like it just it's crap. It's just shit because it's so illogical. How do you lose by going off of the thing? Cool. Well, I better climb down then, <laughs> and I better suspend myself by my arms on some ladders that are underneath the thing. Doesn't make any sense. The bumps look horrendous, like absolutely horrendous. Cornet's bump. I can't believe he didn't break both his legs. Because he lands horribly on it. Not good. Just really crap. No. So I am almost in complete disagreement with Old Man on this one. <laughs> I really enjoyed this match. Now, it was like, fucking hell, it looks terrifying up there. Because it is, it is very high. And whilst I think the structure in itself is secure, as you said, Old Man, the handlebars at the other end are very much not and mm. there has got the element of people just walking around trying to not fall off, basically. Mm. Um, but I was watching it the entire time and I was completely captivated by it. Now, this is the first scaffold match I've ever seen. And I knew, but I knew what was going to happen. I knew what happens to, to Jim Corner and the pile inducing bump that he takes. Because <laughs> he lands right on his ass. And I bet you, if he didn't have hemorrhoids before that, he's going to end up with them afterwards. All right, he definitely got hemorrhoids. <laughs> Big time. You met Tiggy. Was he carrying his little donut? <laughs> um, and the thing is with that, um, Big Bob Bossman's belatedly supposed to catch him and is about yeah. three feet away from him when he falls off. Don't even make an attempt to catch him. And the referee turns his back and he's got the body language of someone going, fucking hell, <laughs> fucking hurts. There's a couple of bits in it that I quite like though, like the bit where um, Bobby Eaton's trying to climb, was trying to, is not quite climbing up, and Jim Cornette's just holding his leg, hugging his leg at the bottom of the thing, really made me chuckle. And the the two bump, the two bumps from the uh, 
the old uh, rock and rollers or the no, midnight midnight-ers, sorry midnight. the midnighters whilst they are very high up and look awful as they're going down they look like reasonably com- like they look like they land pretty well and so i was like do you know what it was is pretty grim it's it's not as as bad as it could be, I guess, which is a low kind of bar, I suppose. Um, but no, I I really enjoyed this. I just thought there was a lot of peril in it. Or well, Paul Ellering, the the tag team specialist, or should we call him the Tash team specialist, because he is rocking a lovely handlebar moustache at this at this point, which I think he may have had anyway, but is particularly girthy, I'd say, during this match. I just really liked it. I I really enjoyed it. And on on the Road Warriors music, it starts off sounding like Jailbreak by Thin Lizzy. And then it sounds like Give Me All Your Lovin' by ZZ Top. So I sat there just thinking about those two songs while it was going on. I enjoyed this match a lot more than I was expecting to or probably should have. Yeah, um, I I got to say that I wrote here that... So my notes are, this is a really high scaffold. And then, I was, and then Cornet tells the commentators that this is insane. So basically agreeing with you, old man. And then... This is quite the spectacle. I can't, I could I was exactly the same as Tom. I was like, this isn't going to be good. This isn't technically good at all. But I can't take my eyes off it. I am like on the edge of my seat. Like fuck, I can understand why they felt capable of selling tickets on the basis mm. of this kind of a match because the 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 absolute peril that is there is real like it's really real the bit of the scaffold that, that comes away as well is the bit that's not over the ring obviously the scaffold starts outside of the ring okay it's built up and then goes across the ring and the bit that sort of stands that's not above the ring has got those those bars those handlebars mm. to stop people fall off that's the bit that comes away so you're mm. like fucking hell like if they fall off that that's that is fucking well lighting well Mm. yeah so yeah i couldn't take my eyes off it i was genuinely nervous watching it um and from that perspective not bored at all not necessarily the best emotion to be having but i kind of got it i kind of like yeah i can see why people want to what like want to buy a ticket to see this because Mm. it's fucking dangerous (laughs) it's really dangerous and i think also looking at it from the perspective of an audience at the time that we're probably, you know, a little bit more kind of, oh, let's just see what they, they give us today kind of thing. Um, I could entirely understand why people would be drawn to watch this. So I I kind of have to agree in some ways with Tom. I did really, I don't know if enjoy is the right word, but I was just kind of like on the edge of my seat, really kind of invested in, okay, what is going to, how are they going to do this? And please don't let anybody fall off the edge because it's so far down. I think that they did for that Great American Bash show that we watched lower the height of the scaffold because mm. it is not as high as this. I'm sure of it. This is really high, really, really high up. I was quite kind of panicky almost watching them on top of it. In fairness, boys, I think you don't get me wrong. I'm not going to change how I feel about it, but you kind of turned me around there because I've not really thought about it as a spectacle. Mm. I just see it as one. What a fucking waste of Bobby Eaton. This is. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean there. But. So, after all the meh from old man, Tony Schiavone's again in the ring, and he announces that next year will be another great American bash. We're back to Bob Taylor, and he, not that Bob Taylor, not the Bob Taylor who plays Crystal City in the early 90s. Bob, Super Bob, Bob, Super Bob, 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 Super Bob, Super Bobby Taylor. Um, and Bob Taylor introduces some of the highlights of the previous tour. During this, Bob Taylor twice says 1985, 
but then at the end says 1986. So mm. goodness knows what he's talking about. <laughs> we we see Midnight Express versus the Rock and Roll Express. We see Wahoo McDaniel versus Jimmy Garvin in a strap match. So Wahoo McDaniel's having another strap match. We see Jimmy Valiant versus Shasta Watley in a hair match. So another hair match for Jimmy Valiant. And we also see Dusty Rhodes pinning Ric Flair for the NWA World Championship. So I'm watching this and I'm thinking, boys, we need to get tickets. This looks amazing. <laughs> Um, and I, I, I was watching. I was like, "This looks fucking mint." I'm bang up for this. Um, and then the two, two of the cars. Um, obviously it was a 14 date tour. I think they did. Yeah. Um, and two of them are on the WWE Network, and I'm definitely going to watch them at some point because I was like, "That that looks fucking banging." Especially the uh, steel cage match for the NWA Heavyweight Championship with. Dusty and Rick. Oh, I was like, that looks oh. absolutely mint because the footage there. You said it a while ago, Tinky, that back the 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 best kind of wrestling. You watch like some of those like uh, like older ECW uh, things or, like shows, and you look at the crowd and you're like, oh, I'd love to be there for that. That was what I got just from that like five minute clip of watching Dusty versus Ric Flair in the, in the cage match, and thought that looks quality. So I'm up for getting tickets, lads. I don't know about you. <laughs> Saskia Watley loses the. Uh... Hair versus hair match, and he's he comes a bold headed geek, which I think quite, <laughs> I quite like as an insult. But oh, Dusty Rhodes is there, and he's brought out by a country singer. The country singer's hair was down to his ankles, and it looked like a skunk's tail. It is fan fucking tastic. Uh, so I have a beard and some facial hair, and there are two little grey lines <laughs> either side. Of my chinny chin chin, which are getting bigger as time goes on. And I used to work with a, well, used to work with someone. And she said, she's like, I really like the little grey bits of your, um, of your bigs. It really makes you look like a skunk. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Badger, badger. I meant badger. I meant badger, not skunk. (laughs) To be fair, if she'd smelt the farts that I do, she was probably right. Skunky old man. Are you sure you didn't mishear her? You sure she didn't say, I really like the uh, white lines of your beard on either side of your chin. Uh, Really makes you look like a cunt. I mean, badger, badger. I really, really, I mean, badger, not cunt. No, no, she she went, went, I really like the white bits (laughs) underneath either side of your chin. It looks a bit like spunk. I mean, badger, badger, I mean, badger. Uh, To be fair, any of them could be correct. (laughs) I think so. So then we get another brief intermission strange one and then introduced then Shavoni introduces the credits for the show <laughs> so it is worth bearing at this point i i was looking at the thing i was like we've still got 40 odd minutes left and um but at the same time worrying a little bit that this was the end of the show i was like, hang on yeah why have we got the credits now <laughs> really weird place to put them uh, also in, in the credits it says written by <laughs> virgil runnels you're like yeah. mm, okay well we, we, we knew that but you know, obviously it wasn't common knowledge what his actual name was, and it was a bit more of a simple time. But it was a bit, a little bit like, oh, okay, there we go. Can we? What is it? Is um, can we just have a list of names for the people that have made this great event, Starcade '86? And then he says, "Great event, Starcade '86," about nine times <laughs> in a row, as if he's got great event, Starcade '86 Tourette's. Yeah, and then like you said, we get the names. There were some cracking names in there, none of which I've written down. 
Well, you're lucky that you that you didn't say Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup Tag Team <laughs> Tournament again, didn't you? Um, one of the names I did notice in the credits, because I did watch some of it, was uh, we'd seen in a show uh, Halloween Havoc 1998. Can you oh. tell me who it is? In the credits, no, were they in the yeah, credits? Or? They were in the credits for this show. We'd seen him at Halloween Havoc 1998. Another a little testing trivia question for you. Mike Tanay. No. Oh, bollocks. Fuck off, Tinky. No, um, he wasn't. I... He wasn't in it either. No. <laughs> oh, well, t- Tony Schiavone. No, it was. Well, no, it bloody was. <laughs> uh, it was head of security Doug Dellinger who came out uh, and uh, double D. But here, he wasn't the head of security. He was one of the cameramen. Oh, mm, he a then. Chat. Yeah. So, so he's gone from cameraman to man who can stop the NWO setting Ultimate Warrior on fire. <laughs> An incredible yeah. promotion that is. It makes you wonder why the people who are against the nwo didn't just get him in in the first place it does make me wonder that that's exactly yeah. what it makes could me have stopped wonder. their reign of terror so we've still got two matches left of the show and we start with the nwa world tag team championship match which is the rock and roll express defending their titles against the minnesota wrecking crew of iron anderson and ole anderson in a steel cage two things one what venue is this the main event of? Is it at the Atlanta Omni or is this in Greensboro? This is in Greensboro. Okay. And also, here we go. Arn Anderson, 28 in this match. See, lovely old Johnny. He looks at least 40. Yeah, okay. but he always did, didn't he? Like like Tiggy said, old Johnny Valiant was born 18. He was born 40, wasn't he? Yeah, big, big dad vibes. He was. I've seen him about three or four years before this, um, when he was wrestling as a jobber in Mid South as Marty Lundy, which is his real name. Um, and Marty. <laughs> and uh, he looked as old. He looks exactly as old as he does here. Can you imagine that? Someone like, hey, Martin or Marty, as you go by. I mean, you need to get any name you can think of. I'm going to go for Arn. <laughs> <laughs> all right okay fair enough well not, well not what i would have gone for but yeah all right then if you will so it's a steel cage match it lasts for 20 minutes and 20 seconds and it ends when ole goes for a slam on ricky morton but robert gibson drop kicks morton and he lands on ole and gets the pin for the victory tom your thoughts on this one this match is mint absolutely mint i'm gonna say i really i really really enjoyed it again I'm an espresso. That's what I'm going to call the fan fans of the <laughs> of the of these tag teams. It's it's really good. Like the what I find so interesting about it is that the women in the crowd are clearly going absolutely mad for the Rock and Roll Express, and they are absolute munters, aren't they? Let's be honest, <laughs> with awful hair, but the girls love them anyway. And and they and I assume it's because they've got a great, greater appreciation of the technical wrestling which they which they can do. <laughs> it's really good, really intense start. Um, and then there's then it kind of almost falls into what you might call your your kind of your typical kind of tag team trope, really, of the of the Minnesota Wrecking Crew basically just dominating for ages and ages. And there's there's a bit in it where it's like Robert Gibson's selling is amazing in it. He's proper sympathetic baby face. And then he, he he's getting beaten down for quite a while. And then he tags in Ricky Morton. And you're like, oh, okay, here we go. Here's the hot tag sort of thing. But then the same thing kind of happens again, again with the with with Arn and Ole just dominating. And what I quite like about it is that they they start off Ole and Arn really stretching the rules 
if you will like fight again like up to four on chokes holding people when they've got to, holding them when they got to the rope staying in the ring for too long for double teaming and then as the match goes on they just start outright cheating and like distracting the ref and that's when they really kind of start to dominate and the match basically keeps building and building and building to a crescendo of where you're just desperate for um ricky morton to tag in robert gibson and it doesn't really happen and it's just it's one of these things and by this by the point it's just it keeps on about to, it keeps on almost happening and doesn't and every time they're building and building and then i can't really remember specifically what happens which is weird because i watched it this morning but then all four of them just end up in the ring it's not like a hot tag and no. everyone's kind of fighting off against each other. they just four of them end in the ring and then like you said tinky morton uh, gets drop kicked in the back by gibson and then he, he just pins Ole, and it's a bit of a shit ending, if I'm being honest. It was a bit anticlimactic. But that being said, I really, really appreciated the work that Ole and I, and obviously the Rock and Roll Express, were doing in building that tension. And I would just like to see, I could have sat through another five minutes of it, I think, if it, if you got that kind of big explosive, or even like another two minutes, you got that big explosive payoff at the end. But it didn't really happen. So I enjoyed it. And I think I enjoyed it with the anticipation of the hot tag coming and the roof of the arena blowing off. But it it, it didn't really happen. Um, So it was a little bit of like, oh, that's a shame it ended in that manner. But up until the end, I really enjoyed the match. Well, I think you've just hit upon what the Rock and Roll Express's model matches is that they basically just get loads and loads of sympathy on them for the whole match and then come good at the end. That is the Rock and Roll Express model. Um, and to your point about why the women love them, I think whilst they may not be particularly attractive, uh, if you compare them to the rest of the card, <laughs> <laughs> you might find why they love them. <laughs> and to be fair, they're fantastic lovers. That too. Um, well, I didn't really know what to make of this because it starts off hot and then the beatdown just goes on and on. And a bit like Tommy said, like, I was waiting for that hot tag and that explosion, that bit of action. And it doesn't get there. And I was a bit disappointed, to be honest. I didn't not enjoy it, but I was expecting more. Everyone's good in it. Arn Anderson is the best Arn Anderson I've ever seen, mm. which, which ain't really saying much, to be honest. It was a weird one, this. I didn't really... I was thinking about it afterwards. I was like, I don't really know how I'm going to talk about this because it was it was just weird. What it felt like, if, if this were a WWE tag team match i would have said they've run out of time yeah they fuck themselves but i don't think it's that i think this is just the way they was laid out but not bad enjoyable stuff just didn't reach the heights that i thought it was going to yeah i think i think that makes sense iron anderson i think is somebody that i've previously said i don't i don't understand why anyone would be or should be interested in him he is just he looks 40 years old, even when he's, what, 28, did you say he was at this yeah. during his match? And he's always looked like that. He looks like someone's dad, not particularly athletic-looking dad either. He just looks like someone's <laughs> dad. And I think um, this is where I want to see him in tag team matches. Mm. And what I've for a long time realised is that I, I've believed for a long time that tag team wrestling could be main-eventing pay-per-views if presented in such a way like if you presented the tag team titles as being almost as prestigious as your world heavyweight championship, you could easily make the tag team title match the main event of some shows at certain points. Mm. And for me, 
Iron and Ole Anderson and even the Rock and Roll Express could be seen as main event tag team um, acts. And in this period of Jim Crockett promotions and in other parts of the time that they worked, they were. So as we know, they are in the main event of one of the two shows. Effectively, this is two shows in one. And this is the main event of one of those arena shows. So again, for me, Iron Anderson is a main eventer so long as he's in a tag team that are a main event tag team. But he, for me, is not. there's no interest in him as a singles competitor. Don't mm. just do not have any interest in him in that respect. It's funny. I, I felt a little bit like this throughout the show that when you guys have spoken about the matches, I've taken a second look at them and gone, yeah, actually, I like that more than I think I've suggested in my notes. And this is another one where I feel like I saw the same stuff you saw, Tom, in terms of how they were building towards this moment or not even this moment, but just building slowly to potentially Robert Gibson getting the tag from Ricky Morton, who had been beaten up for a long time prior to the end. It doesn't happen. And whilst I think you're right, that cuts out some of the drama, some of the in- interest, some of the kind of explosiveness of the end. I quite admire the fact that they didn't do it. I like the fact that this is something different. You know, that they didn't just do the same rhythm that every tag team match ever had, which was instead they just went, you know what? We're not, we're not going to do that. We're going to just build it and build it and build it. They're never going to get the tag. But even when they don't get the tag, they're still going to win the match. And I just thought that's interesting. It's not it doesn't make for the most dramatic end, doesn't make for the most most conclusive finish, but we're still a little bit different. And I really think that wrestling needs to think about doing things a bit like this, not just like this, but things like this more often where they subvert the normal course of a match. Main events, for example, occasionally, very occasionally should go for five minutes or less just to show that they can finish in that short of a time because otherwise you go into every single pay-per-view knowing the match has got at least 15 minutes from the beginning to go and therefore undercuts the drama that is in the first 10 minutes of the match so i think they need to do things like this and so i that's where i appreciate it but in the moment i was a bit like yeah, it's all right but a bit disappointing well and that's that's the thing like and you said we, we were talking about last week at the sorry of 93 uh watching the the smoky mountain tag team championship between mm. the uh midnight and the heavenly bodies well no it was a rock, rock, rock and roll i get confused i can't help. they're not I, even I love... alike they're not even alike as tag teams it's just because they're so intrinsically linked though isn't it that it's yeah. it's hard i do i've always found it hard the the, the way the, that match was laid out again we said this last week but it's, it's different from your standard wf tag team match which is what yeah. i'm so accustomed to seeing so again like you said it on retrospectively looking back on it it didn't necessarily ruin the match for me but at the time i was i was because uh, i'm so accustomed to seeing that sort of ending to a tag team match that i'm used that that was what i was expecting and it didn't necessarily match my expectations in in terms of that but i yeah it's just it's, it is interesting seeing seeing this done differently isn't it mm. and i think i think it goes back to that thing i was saying earlier on about the fact that if you if you're able to make people believe that this is about winning and losing and that that matters, then sometimes you don't even need the drama. And you saw here from the crowd reaction, you didn't need that drama. They were delighted to see the Rock and Roll Express win. Mm. You've just given basically them 15 minutes of getting loads and loads of sympathy on both Robert Gibson and Ricky Morton. Morton was always the more kind of yeah the younger looking or the more baby faced looking one of the two. And so you more often got more of the sympathy on him. But you got the sympathy on both of them for 15 minutes. And it didn't matter that you didn't have that release, that sudden explosion of the hot tag. You just needed them to win. That was it. That was all that was required. 
this is the exact like opposite of what we see basically anything that I see, particularly from like the post two thousand and ten specifically yeah. WWE. Because I know exactly what I'm gonna get. I wanna see something different. And that's when I enjoy the shows that we do the most are things what that I see things that I'm not expecting to see. Because having watched WWE for so long and the way that it's booked, it's certain elements when they're being particularly more lazy than usual, you can tell a hundred percent what's gonna happen. And in I'm finding that when I watch when I go out of the kind of comfort zone, if you will, of WWE and look at some other wrestling, there's some stuff that I don't appreciate as much. But there is also a lot of stuff in there. And I'm like, do you know what? I haven't seen that before. So even if I don't like it, it's not repetitive and boring. Mm. It might be boring because it's shit, but it's <laughs> not boring because I haven't. It's not boring because I've seen it before. Yeah, and seen it before millions of times. That's the yeah. that's the big problem. Like I and I also think I want to differentiate this as well from surprises. Because that's not the same. Because I think that's what WWE fall back on is the idea of the surprise. But it's it's not about the surprises. It's just about being a little bit more thoughtful about how you book a show mm. or a result and thinking actually we can really emphasize the importance of the of this or that or whatever. You know, it might be a, a mistake by the referee. You don't see mistakes by the referee written into the shows you, you don't see that too often things like that things things that basically just have a different angle on them it's not necessarily the result that's a surprise but the way you get to that result is where i i think we 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 too often don't see variation so we get to our main event it's rick flair versus nikita koloff for the nwa world heavyweight championship it's a 20 minute match and it ends, unfortunately, when basically when we get a schmoz at the end with mm. a double disqualification, uh, a bunch of referee full <laughs> referee bumps and goodness knows what else. <laughs> I'm not going to go through the end because actually I was even thinking about it and I was like, I can't remember exactly how it all happens. No. They just both get disqualified and because they both end up hitting the referee accidentally and then other people get involved and it's all a bit of a mess at the end before we go into the match though obviously this is quite interesting (laughs) because we've missed out one key video package which is just before the main event but but sorry it's after rick flair comes out it is after rick flair comes out which is why i didn't immediately place it after the tag team match because it's in my notes with the match if you see what i mean yes it's it's really weird so as i said after flair has entered we get a music video First of all, of an indistinguishable man. We know who it is eventually, but it's an indistinguishable man running on a beach quite far away in the distance. Um, and then a, the back. <laughs> this is really bad. I, I don't want to I don't want to sound bad here, but there are going to be some things I would say that are bad just because I think it's the way that they've framed this woman in the camera. Mm. But she looks elderly from the back. Yep. Yes, <laughs> she looks Big quite time. old from the back. There's a song playing over the top. I said here, I am assuming the people in the video are Magnum T.A. and mother slash wife of Magnum T.A. And I've got three question marks. And the reason is, is because I said from the back, this woman looks quite old. Like I'm talking about 50s or 60s. So I'm not talking like 100. Uh, yeah, I'm, it's just weird. There's also footages of birds flying and the sun. And there's a lovely tune playing over the top. It's so, fuck me. The the song is is so bad. (laughs) And and it's it's like, so I don't know if you boys can remember this, but can you remember like in, I think it's in season one of The Sopranos, when um, 
uh, Adriana, Christopher's girlfriend, tries to basically get in the music industry. Oh, yeah. yeah and she, she hires this band to play. And it is the shittest, most generic soft rock you will ever hear. And it's done. I think it's done deliberately in the show because it gets basically randomly mocked by everyone, you know, in uh, by all the characters, especially Hesh, who has got a big background in music. Much. It sounds just like that. It is the most middle of the road, crap, generic soft rock you'll ever hear. It is the calling. It is. <laughs> it is just you know if that I sort could. of. Thing. Yeah, it is just that. It is fucking awful. Not, but it, it sounds not quite... nearly enough. Not nearly enough creed in your voice there, old man. No, no. Wherever I could, my hands up high. But it's, it is. But the thing, what, what caught me really off guard was that I associate that kind of song with like the mid nineties, mid to late nineties. So I was like, this is quite futuristic at the time <laughs> for what it is and i'm not sure i would shot. agree with that but there we go <laughs> there's a lovely shot a lovely long lingering shot on magnum t's crotch as he's running across the beach very and, very and, and his pecs like there's just a proper zoom in on his pecs as he's running so they're jiggling around this is the most sexual thing i've ever watched in a wrestling show <laughs> i think including val venus oh please come on no that, you, you don't watch val venus you experience val venus. <laughs> <laughs> so this is weird as well because this footage was clearly lying around mm-hmm. they had this waiting to do something with it because at this point magnum ta had suffered the, the car accident that would effectively end his wrestling career and he at this point in time couldn't actually walk he was paralyzed and he was due to be in the main event of this show. It was supposed to be Ric Flair versus Magnum TA. They had been preparing him for a world heavyweight title run as well. So presumably he was going to win this match. Um, and after Magnum TA suffered his injury, they then turned Nikita Koloff babyface and who had been in a feud with Magnum TA prior to that point and had Nikita Koloff come out and say things like he'd always respected the competitor that Magnum TA was whilst they were in a feud. And this was all about this was all about the time when Mikhail Gorbachev was starting to soften the stance of the Soviet Union. Was starting to lay the foundations for the end of the Cold War. And so there was an increase in popularity in the Soviets at the time. And so Dusty Rhodes saw this as an opportunity to make Nikita Koloff a baby face and run with it that way. Going back to the Magnum TA of it all. <laughs> yes. Why did they think to place this specifically here? That's the thing that's really confusing. Before this match, they could have had Big Tone say, uh, after the tra- you know tragic accident of Magnetia, here are our thoughts. We've presented this weird video montage <laughs> of you yeah. running as you are disabled now. Um, <laughs> And then we're going to put this before the main event as a, as a you know, just to remind, to remember that you're still here and our hearts and minds and everything is completely out of the blue. Ric Flair's come to the ring. Some guy has gone, you're a son of a bitch as well. Really clearly as Ric Flair's walking down to the aisle, which I quite like. And then they just cut to it and then no one acknowledges it. It's, it's really so weird. weird. Yeah. You know, and also it's the kind of video which you would play. Well, no, you probably wouldn't play, but it, it feels like the kind of video that is more comfortable in a place where someone has passed away as yeah. opposed to not just unfortunately having suffered a really bad well, accident which has stopped them from wrestling anymore it's only the fact that we've seen magnum ta on commentary 
after this event that I knew he wasn't dead. I was getting a bit like, I was like, oh, he must have died. And I was like, hang on a minute. I remember that phenomenal moustache, that fucking mm. super strainer. I'm the hair. You don't think- yeah, you you don't forget that moustache. Fuck you me. don't for, you don't forget a cookie duster like that, do you? <laughs> <laughs> um, the the other thing is I wanted to quickly um, mention about this, is, and again, what you were talking about Nikita Kolov. Obviously, they're presenting as a babyface, but there's still some quite audible boos for him as well as he comes down but, to the ring because he's foreign. Yeah, it's weird because like what Tinky was saying about like the Cold War kind of thawing out, if you will, um, warming is, up. Uh, yeah, it's like he comes down with his Soviet Union jacket on. Mm. And it's like, this ain't going to wash. I'm not going to say that he should have come down in full American car. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, just leave that in the back. And also, like, with the greatest respect to him, his face is not that of a face. Hang on. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's too stern. He's too rigid in everything he does he doesn't wrestle as a face obviously your hand is forced but why not chuck big big bubba rogers in there turn him face that fresh face little whippersnapper i i quite like the idea of it and actually what he reminded me of when he was in the ring was a little bit like goldberg actually i just felt because he's got a very good physique he's obviously got the bold head he's quite intense and i thought I could, I could see, I could see what they were going he's, for. He's but, much better than. Oh, oh, obviously, I'm not talking about his in ring. I'm just talking <laughs> about his look. I'm just talking about his general look and his mm. and the way they presented him. I was like, he looks like Goldberg. But there, there's an interesting thing, though, isn't there? Because obviously, don't I couldn't remember the context of the interview that happened earlier with the Russians. Are they supporting him or are they downplaying him? I can't remember. I, so at the time, they're saying that that Dusty Rose has turned him into a traitor because he's no right. longer with them. He's no longer working for them. But there's also a sense that they say something to the effect of he needs to win this match in order to, like, redeem himself with the Russian people and all that. So I quite like the idea that they are... They, they still think of him as, as... He's not from the Soviet Union, he's American, but they still think of him as a Russian. But they don't like him now because he's turned his back on the country. But they'd still rather him win the title as a Russian than than his opponent. So I quite like that. So Nikita Kolov was... Uh was also Mr. Wrestling 4. Wow. Yeah. Lineage. Now, I'm not going to... Yeah, he's not twice as good as Mr. Wrestling 2, let's be honest. But, uh, yeah, fair fucking play to him. And also, uh, he had to retire. I was just reading about him. Had to retire after taking a stiff clothesline from Vader and herniated this. It was so bad that he turned to God. And he now he's now uh, he's some god-botherer. Is it that weird god? No, it's not that that weird god that we had. Just a normal god that Chuck Norris likes. Yeah, that's it. Chucky Norris. Nah, fucking weird. Ooh, I like science, but I like God. You can't believe in both, mate. So? No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) So before Old Man steps back up onto that rather weighty soapbox, um, what do we we think of the match? I quite liked it, actually. Um, I... The beginning of the matches is quite weird because it's, it's basically Rick Flair doesn't know what to do. He's basically everything he tries, it doesn't work. He tries to go for um like a, a, a classic lockup, don't work. He tries to go with chops, it don't work. Everything that he tries doesn't work. And he keeps going out and kind of circling, circling the ring and getting back in and just waiting in the corner and kind of pondering and pondering to himself. And 
it really works. I thought, I thought it looked really good. I, I think that's where, again, like you discussed a while back, thinking about the nuances of Ric Flair and the things that you, you see your standard Ric Flair match where he does his flips, very big down to the corner when he does the figure four and holds the ropes, all those kind of normal, like Ric Flair tropes that you get, but it's those little bits. Those, he tells like stories just with his facial expressions that really work. And I don't know how that gets you so massively over in a crowd who can't read those facial expressions, but watching it, you know, from, from this archive footage is, is really good. Um, and I think it was really good. There was a very bizarre pin attempt from Koloff when he's got Ric Flair in a bear hug and then basically pinned yeah. him down to the mat. And it looks very homoerotic. It extremely so. it's in, sexy, isn't it? four hours of watching men in pants rolling around mucking about with each other and this is the gayest thing on there <laughs> it's kind of like a, a backwards wheelbarrow race maneuver yeah yeah exactly again rick flair does what is now we now know as his patented vertical suplex which we mm. first time we sort of like don't see him doing that very often he's done it in every fucking match <laughs> that we've watched. but again it's still really impressive because he's a big boy older or kolov and I like the fact that it kind of like it, the match kind of is effective. But again, he gets straight back up from it. He recovers. He, Rick Flair's doing some savage chops, which Kodov's no selling. But then it all changes when he kind of goes over the top rope and hurts his leg. And then Rick Flair starts attacking the leg. And throughout the rest of the match, even when he's doing his power moves and stuff like that, Kodov is still selling the leg injury, which I really, really appreciated. And it was at this point where I realized that both of the wrestlers were somehow covered in glitter. Like, when yeah. did that happen? Don't know when that happens. And I've got a couple more notes. Like after there's a lovely ref bump. <laughs> I think, yeah. is it Earl again in this match? No, I mean, we've got Tommy Young and we've also and got an appearance from Scrappy. Yeah. Um, So Tommy Young takes a ref bump from a shoulder tackle where someone hits his leg and he then flies out of the ring on the, <laughs> between yeah. the second and bottom rope, which is wonderful. And at this point, Ric Flair's hair is still immaculate and isn't yes. moving. I was watching it and my... um. My lovely wife and baby Shinsky were out in the kitchen. And I was like, oh, Jade, you've got to look at Ric Flair's hair. And she said, I can see it from here. It's not moving. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, again, I was a little bit disappointed by the ending. Because the end of the match, basically, is because they're fighting too much. <laughs> and I yeah. hate it when they do this. Yeah. They're like, they're like, it's just stupid. It's a really stupid way to finish the match. What are they doing? Oh, they're, they're fighting too much fine and it was quite disappointing because i quite up until that point again i quite enjoyed the match and it's kind of a little bit synonymous with the last couple of specifically the last two matches but a couple of other matches where you're like with another two minutes and a clean finish somewhere that could make the match a lot more interesting but overall i i quite enjoyed this um and i also enjoyed the fact that tony Schiavone absolutely butchered reading the result out at the end which is quite yeah. funny because it cuts back to him and the other commentator at ringside the other commentator starts talking to the crowd talking to the camera and then tony Schiavone just starts talking out loud over the pa system and the guy looks really affronted lovely he's on, and, he's on double duty isn't he he's working he is. ringside get yeah ring announcer and also play by play yeah mm. what guy? i do wonder if he had his stopwatch with him this i hope week. so yeah i thoroughly enjoyed this Kolov looks incredible in this match. Like looks, like Tommy said, Flair don't know what to do. He don't have a clue. And Flair's selling of the fear, the frustration, the arousal is fantastic. Like I'm not a Flair guy, but this is he's really very good. This is how you make because obviously with the um with the Russians having a gab earlier, kind of got in the head. I was like, oh, 
Nikita Kolov's not a big deal. Like, this is probably not the spot for him. And they make it look like he should be there. He's like every bit of him. To Tinky's point about um, him looking like Goldberg, bang on. Like, 100%. He looks a million bucks. He looks like a million bucks. And he's tossing flair around like he's a dirty little rag that he's trying to clean the car with that he just can't keep hold of. And then when he hurts his knee, he's selling it like an absolute champ. And Flair's working it. Flair gets all dirty then. And the end is very disappointing and also completely stupid because Koloff is the one who, who really gets disqualified because he won't stop bloody pushing refs. <laughs> he just won't stop. They're trying to stop him. I know he's annoyed. And he's obviously got the the threat from his Soviet, well, former Soviet mates that like, he wants to win, so probably wants to win so he can beat them. But it's a really poor way to win the World Heavyweight Championship match when this is maybe the only shot that he had. But up to that point, thoroughly good stuff. Really, really good stuff. Well, I think it is worth also saying about it. I mean, I agree with you about the end. I really didn't like the end at all. thought it was a real big letdown. But I, I think what I want to hone in on you, hone, hone in on what you said there, old man, is about how they've made Nikita Koloff feel like he deserves to be there, that mm. he belongs on the level of Ric Flair. Because I want to contrast it with the way WWE booked Wade Barrett in the main event of Spurs yes. 2010, where Wade Barrett had been made to feel like he should be a main event guy. Mm. And in that moment, they could have solidified his status, as I said at the mm. time, given him the victory and made the Nexus even more powerful than they had been previously by giving them the world championship. Here, they don't give Nikita Koloff the championship and he comes into this match, you'd argue, slightly below the level of a main event guy at Starcade, mm. but leaves as Ric Flair's equal and feels like a star. So in one respect, I, I really don't like the end, but I do like what they accomplish with this, which is to make Nikita Koloff another guy at the top of the card mm. alongside Flair, alongside Dusty Rhodes, <laughs> alongside others, I'm sure, that would challenge flair for that title in the future and will be a, will be somebody that will be pursuing that world championship so yeah. from that perspective i just i don't think you should ever give up that opportunity to create somebody when you need them as well especially if you consider they just lost magnum ta who was going to be their new world champion uh, and they'd been preparing him for that spot now i'm not saying he would have won that main event at starcade 86 although i believe that was the plan but even if they had chosen to do it later on they were grooming him for that position um they've lost him so now they've taken the opportunity to make someone else in lieu of him being in the main event which i just think you you have to do if you've and that was the same way i felt about wwe at the time of the Survivor series 2010 it wasn't like they had loads of main event talent we saw what mm. they they served up at wrestlemania 27 take the chance to make wade barrett a star they didn't do it yeah so here they do it and it's it's really good but other than that yeah i didn't like the ending and I'll go into my overall thoughts about the show from this straight away because it kind of kind of encapsulates my overall thoughts about the show, which is that I quite liked pretty much everything on the show, but nothing. I didn't like love anything. I thought everything was just a touch kind of there's a disappointment here or a slight. They, they could have done something better there. And this was the same. It was a decent match, but I didn't go mad, didn't go mad for it. I've seen better Ric Flair matches even just in terms of what we've done. And I didn't like the end. 
didn't love the end again of the tag team match as we spoke about there was i had problems with the the first blood match because i was like well you've just had everyone bleed <laughs> you've just had bubba rogers and ron garvin in their blood their match where there was blood spilt and then in all of the main matches blood there's blood from practically everyone so again what's the significance of a first blood match in amongst all that some of the earlier matches as well i like some of the stuff that was going on but some of the matches were either too short or didn't go anywhere or didn't quite do what i was hoping it would do despite overall the action being okay so i'm going to give this show a five out of ten um and my man of the match mvp is earl hebner because i thought it was great to just see him so early in his career with yeah. hair with hair can you believe yeah oh hair if you will <laughs> indeed and my match of the night god this is quite difficult but i'm actually really controversially let me give it to the Skywalkers match, the the, the the scaffold match. It just, what Tom was saying is absolutely right. It really didn't, it did keep me completely gripped all the way through, purely because of the height of that damn scaffold, which was ridiculously high. But it really, as I said, it really hit home for me the reason why people would buy tickets to watch a show where there was a scaffold match, because mm-hmm. there was there was some real peril going on there and um i could see how that would sell tickets old man what were your what was your overall thoughts i enjoyed this far more than i was expecting i can completely agree with what you've said about it just feels a little off they just missed the mark on a lot of things but i was never bored when i was watching this the scaffold match i didn't like it because i didn't really get it but Obviously, having listened to you boys, I'm kind of a bit like, actually, you know what? You've got a good point. But I didn't enjoy it when I was watching it. I'm actually going to give this a seven mm-hmm. because I think it gets extra marks as well because it's just under four hours. And I did it in two chunks. So I did about an hour and 25 minutes it was. And then last evening, I did the rest. And it whipped by last night because I was a little bit worried. I was like, fucking hell, it's getting a bit late. But it whipped by and I thoroughly enjoyed what I watched. My MVP, having said that, is the producer of the Magnum TA video. Because <laughs> they need some fucking respect for that. And my match of the night was very difficult because I didn't really know where to go. So I'm going to go for Sam Houston, Bill Dundee, mm. because I really enjoyed it. I really, I was caught off guard by it. I absolutely loved on Crocodile Dundee. And yeah, just like that was uh, that was the point where I knew I was going to have a good time, I think. Yeah, when I got to that. Good stuff. Um, So my, we already know my MVP is this big uh, scrappy McGowan because <laughs> he was just what a guy, an absolute guy. <laughs> my overall score is I'm going to give it a six. Like, as I said, I was never bored throughout the match, but it did take me three three different times to watch it and that is because of the sheer length of it if they got rid of some of the earlier matches then it would probably have got an extra an extra point for me but i'm giving it a six my match of the night again is the scaffold match i'm with tinky on this one it was the i was it was a match maybe not the greatest reason but it was a match i was certainly engaged with the most and i couldn't keep my eyes off it and and having watched you know wrestling for a long time it's very unusual for something to really, really grip me that much. And for that alone, I'm going to give it to that. And, you know, it's always nice to see Jim Cornette getting hurt. So, 
Well, I suppose that's as good a reason as any. So that wraps up Starcade 1986. But we, of course, still do have the game. And Tom, you are the host. So what have we got? My most. Right. So I've got a selection, boys. Ooh. Well, no, you guys rather for. So I have a list. 70 people. Well, 70 entries, should I say. Some of them are tag teams. Who have been in the Wrestling Observer Match of the Year from the years 1980 to 2020. I've got a a list of NWA champions, which is 65 people, and I've got Ric Flair WWF slash E pay-per-view opponents. Pick your poison. Why don't you pick it? Oh, man. Let's go because he's on this show, and I ain't going to NWA World World Champions. That's <laughs> so far my company. Let's go, Ric Flair pay-per-view opponents. Lovely stuff. Well, as you gave uh, old man first choice, Tinky, you can have first pick. Okay, Randy Savage. Yes, he fought him two pay-per-views, WrestleMania 8 and Survivor Series 1992. Shawn Michaels. Uh, Shawn Michaels, he's faced him three times on WWF pay-per-views. Backlash 2003, Bad Blood 2003, and WrestleMania 24. I'm going to say this right now. This is going to be such a weak subject for me. (laughs) Yeah, I thought I picked a good one, and now I'm running down the list, and I'm like, fuck. Okay. Lads, there are some absolute fucking rotters on it. Mm. So, um, Undertaker. Uh, the Undertaker, um, twice WrestleMania 18, and I guess it includes when he was in Royal Rumbles as well, just to let you know, because it says he faced him at the 2007 Royal Rumble in the Rumble, uh, in the Rumble. So every Rumble opponent is. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's only. I think it only counts if that person won the Rumble. I think. Okay. So yeah. What about if Flair won the Rumble? <laughs> Mm. Yeah, because it includes the person who was last eliminated. Okay. Okay. I'll go for the classic Carlito. Yes, I was hoping someone say twice. Unforgiven 2005, and they thought, you know, what, we'll have some more. That at Judgment Day 2007. <laughs> Strangely, Carl- I mean, Carlito was one of the people on my list because we saw that match between them. Mm. But also, I hadn't thought of that match. I thought of a different match, and I think it was <laughs> the, the the other one you mentioned. Well, let's go for the Rock. Uh, it will be under the WrestleMania 20. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, beautiful. In that case, Mick Foley. Mick Foley. Mick Foley is on here three times. WrestleMania 20, Vengeance 2006, and SummerSlam 2006. And was it TNA? Uh, WWF. Well, Mr. <laughs> WWF. Yeah, but they had that awful match, didn't they, where they're both out of shape. God. I don't know where to go with uh, Kurt Hennig, Mr. Perfect. <laughs> Mr. Perfect Survivor Series 92. Yep. Lovely old job. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen that match, you know. Yeah, like I bet you have. have. Bet you have. I'm going to go RVD. Rob Van Dam twice. Uh, so, No Mercy 2002 and WrestleMania 22 2006 as part of the Money in the Bank ladder match, I would imagine. Okay, this one I'm going to go for, which is a little bit of a risk. Roddy Piper. Yes, Survivor Series 91. That's beautiful. He always says they're a risk, but he knows. I wasn't certain that was why it was a risk. Mm. I had an inkling that they did have that match, but I wasn't certain. I'll go Jericho. Chris, always go Chris Jericho. Always <laughs> yeah. go Jericho. Always go Jericho. SummerSlam 2002 and Unforgiven 2002. So I am I'm pretty much in the guessing, other than this next one, which is the person you said but didn't say, which is the person who we last eliminated from the Rumble 92, which is Sid. Correct. Oh, you little fuckers. 
Yeah, that was my next one. Um, there are some absolutely fucking rotters on it. <laughs> There's some beautiful ones on it. I'm going to go... Oh, uh, no, I'm not. Bollocks. Oh, shit. Matt Hardy. Yes, WrestleMania 22. Triple H. Always go Triple H as well. Taboo Tuesday 2005 and Spider Series 2005. God, imagine how awful those matches are. Um, Shelton Benjamin. Twice. Again, you're, you're going deep into that well, aren't you? WrestleMania 22 and Backlash 2004. I've watched that Backlash match. It is a little cracker. Okay. Um, I mean, you're all guesses. Randy Orton. Yeah, of course. Again, Randy Orton, a, a solid guess always. Taboo Tuesday 2004. Again, imagine how boring that match is. <laughs> it's enough to send chivers, chivers, shivers down your spine, isn't it? It's enough to send Tony Chimmels down your spine. Uh, hmm. Vince McMahon. Yep, Mr. McMahon, Royal Rumble, 2002. There's a couple of couple of biggies that you guys are missing out on, and a couple of stinkers, well, loads of stinkers to be fair. Okay, um, they're all fucking guesses. Batista. Yes, Royal Rumble, 2005. So I'm guessing Batista was so basically I think it includes the winners of any rumble that he was in, but not the entire roster. I think that's what it is. I'm not sure that helps me actually. Uh, <laughs> I think he's got one. I've just seen a little smile on his face. <laughs> I haven't. Really. I genuinely have not. A quick game's a good game. I'm gonna go Edge. Yep. New Year's Revolution 2006. Okay, um, Chris Benoit. Unforgiven, 2004. Well, fair play to him. He, he did the rounds, didn't he, old Flair? Fair play mm. to him. You would, wouldn't you? If you were in that position in yeah. your career and you'd faced everyone and everyone wanted to face you just so they could say they faced Ric Flair at a pay-per-view. Yeah. So you, you would. You'd take advantage of it. you go, yeah, all right, I'll face everyone. Still a couple of biggies in there, boys. I'm going to go Eugene. No. Oh. Well, oh. I went first, but I will still try and get a couple. So, I mean, all, no, in fact, you oh. know what? All, all of mine are guesses. Yeah, Tinky's, Tinky's one. I forgot yeah. that old moment mm. that you went for. So, yeah, Tinky's one. Uh, what are your guesses there, and Tinky? So, I had a guess. I was guessing at Kane, because you always guess at Kane. No. Um, and John Cena, because you always guess at John Cena. Nope. And then I had Steve Austin, question mark. Yep. A Judgment Day 2002. And then Eddie Guerrero, question mark. Yes, Eddie Guerrero <sighs> at uh, King of the Ring 2002. And finally, I thought, well, Brock Lesnar won the Rumble, so maybe him? No. Okay, so no. you won in that Rumble. So, we have Bobby Lashley, WrestleMania 22, uh, Booker T, Backlash 2003, Bret Hart, so obviously he's not your one, two matches against Bubba Ray Dudley, Armageddon 2002 and uh, Royal Rumble 2004, two matches against Devon Dudley, same pay-per-views again, so they're evidently tag matches. Then, this is where it gets a bit, a bit funny. All right, 2006 Finley as part of that um part of that Money in the Bank match. Survivor Series 2006 Johnny and mm. Kenny. So I'm yeah. assuming he must have faced the uh, Spirit, Spirit Squad. squad. Mm. Then again at Cyber Sunday 2000, uh, 2006 Kenny, and then New Year's Revolu- Revolution 2007 Kenny Dykstra. So out of uh. all the people on the list, he's had more matches with Kenny Dykstra than only one other person or two people, Mick Foley and Shawn Michaels. So that's, like, incredible, that's like when 
Billy Kidman beat Hulk Hogan three times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think so. Um, so, although I guarantee you this is the worst match out of all of them. Backlash 2003 versus Kevin Nash. <laughs> oh. So again, Survivor Series 2006 and Cyber Sunday 2006. Mickey, presumably from the Spirit Squad. Mm. Um, Vengeance, Night of Champions 2007 and Royal Rumble 2008. MVP. I remember those matches because that was especially the, the Rumble one because that was if he lost the match he was gonna had to retire and that built led to the Shawn Michaels feud. No that way, Mr. Out, Kennedy's one as well. Yes, no way yeah. at two thousand and eight. No, yes, no way at two thousand eight. Yes, from that same run, I think. Yeah. Um. So obviously it was two thousand six against Nikki. Um. Rumble two thousand six, Rey Mysterio. Vengeance oh. two thousand four, Rob Conway. Oh my God. Uh, Vengeance 2004, Sylvain Grenier. <laughs> it's always lovely to hear his name. Um, Survivor Series 91, the British Bulldog. Backlash 2006, Umaga. Survivor Series 91, Virgil. Unforgiven 2004, William Regal. And the 93 Rumble, which was won by Yokozuna. Oh. Yeah, I had Mysterio and Guerrero. Those were the only two. And I would have probably gone King before those, so I. That's a good. Uh, that was a good one, that. So I'm good show, lads. That. Yeah. that means that the the team that's um, at Survivor Series '91, the Ric Flair faced, was Virgil, Roddy Piper, Bret Hart, and Davy Boy Smith. Two greats. Two share. Um, so that is everything for this week's show. We've gone way longer than we thought we would, but there you go. We had 12 matches to cover. What can you say? Oh man, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I was going to go with another Byron Faust of the week. This Starcade was actually named after Freddie Star, <laughs> hence the two R's. But you don't need to worry about fact-checking that. All you need to do is remember Kem Patera. Don't fact-check that because it was obviously named after Ringo Star, not Freddie Star. <laughs> uh, and Tom, thank you for your contributions today. It was my pleasure. Oh, good show. Enjoyed it. Just to uh, give the uh, listener a little peep behind the curtain, for the uh, outro, Thomas put his cap on. It's <laughs> because I'm going to be leaving the room. I don't want to forget it. His big boy for his headphones. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and if you wanted to know why they named Starcade after Ringo Starr, you need only to look at his incredible work on Thomas the Tank Engine. That is all we've got time for today. We'll be back again next week for more random wrestling review. But until then, take care. Scrappy McGowan for life.